Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Cree and Scroll of all ages, welcome to MCU Beyond Infinity, a weekly podcast where three friends have assembled to discuss the most recent installments and all things related to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. My name is John, and joining me as your tour guides through this multiverse of madness are Kira and Travis. A super soldier once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. (laughs) Welcome to MCU Beyond Infinity Podcast. We are discussing the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Episode 3, The Power Broker. And speaking of eating liver and beans, I am once again eating my words for not having the proper amount of anticipation for this amazing show. It wasn't quite as <laughs> deep as the previous couple episodes in terms of like socio-political ideas that they have been addressing, but uh, a lot of uh, kicky, punchy stuff. And we love that stuff here because it is a Marvel podcast and it's from comic books and we like to see people beat the shit out of each other. And I thought we had some great moments. What do you guys think? I like it. It wasn't like you said it wasn't as uh, heavy on the uh, commentary this time around, uh, but it was still a pretty good uh, episode overall. I do have some nitpicks, but that's can't wait to hear them. Always, uh, yeah. Who is you, Travis? You are now a resident nitpicker, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think you really underestimated my uh, inability to be completely satisfied with anything in life uh, when we started <laughs> this thing. Uh, well, like last week, we and and in the first week, we kind of got into some of the some of the heavier, I guess, more socio political aspects of it. And while this week was a little bit more centered on the espionage and the action, and definitely it was it was kind of um, comedically centered as well. Like there was a good yes. balance of of all of these things. Um, it, it did cut to some some themes of like does patriotism and does heroism matter in a world where borders and lines are as blurry as ever and it's kind of not as easy to tell like what right is and what wrong is and and again something that we kind of discussed before the show started in anticipation for the show was like the whole concept of a symbol and and how it can inspire people for for better or worse Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways this episode Dove really deep into those themes, um, straying a little bit farther from stuff last week that we had talked about. Uh, namely, you know, a lot of racial issues were brought up in the second episode, and a lot of like real deal political ideology was brought up in the first episode. But but this episode still really really kind of focused like on an idea that a symbol is kind of kind of useless without the people who kind of follow um you know living up to it does that make sense it does and i definitely noticed uh in a couple parts uh things that came up that we did like you said we we had brought up as possibly what they're hinting at and now it's said a little more overtly here and i'll I'll just sort of address it as it comes as we go into the episode but absolutely yeah yeah like people choosing to carry like the legacy of these symbols can 
be very easily corrupted by the symbol itself and what that ideal kind of means to them. And the whole, I mean, we'll get to it eventually. They were very on the nose with um, one of the main antagonists reading Machiavelli's Mm -hmm. The Prince in the middle of the episode. But those themes, yeah, it was very, very on the nose and we'll get there. But those themes of, of corruption and manipulation and absolute power, eventually corrupting people, you know, absolutely. Um, and and when these people choose to follow these symbols, um, they put so much faith into them that it kind of becomes dangerous to the peace that those symbols kind of reflected in the first place. So without further ado, shall we launch right into it? Yeah. Same director. Um, the, the, the woman directing these episodes, whose name I'm, I'm constantly forgetting, um, doing a really amazing job again. And it wasn't written by the series creator um, and showrunner um, Malcolm Spellman. This time it was, we were talking about it before the show. It was written by, by Derek um, Kozled, who's like kind of famously written the, the scripts for all the John Wick movies. I believe he did I a comic blonde. <laughs> yeah, you can't tell. <laughs> What'd you say that he also did uh, besides John Wick? Uh, Atomic Blonde, I believe that he did, uh, which we got some major Atomic Blonde um, moments. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk uh, about that. Towards the end. Yeah, yeah. And he just did, um, which I saw earlier on in the week, uh, Nobody with Bob Odenkirk, which was fucking yeah, I killer. I can't wait it's to see perfect. that. I cannot wait. I don't know if I'll get to that one in the theater, but. I mean, it was. it's available at home if you're, if you're into the John Wick. I am. You know. Yeah, if you're into the, I guess they call it gung fu or gun gun kata or yeah, something. Yeah, I've heard gun, I've heard both. I took a introduction to Asian cinema, and we, uh, you know, discussed that stuff when we were when we got to John Woo. Yeah, it's very much the American equivalent of that. Um, and Bob Odenkirk crushes yeah, it. Yeah, God, so I love it's him. Good. You, you know, he handles this guy handles comedy as well as he handles, you know, the the big action stuff, which is kind of cool. I know we've made the Lethal Weapon comparison and the Shane Black comparison, the 48 Hours comparison um, to Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, this guy, Derek Kozled, or like he's in the same kind of camp as, as those Shane Blacks or Walter Hill, you know, and those famous, like, buddy cop mm-hmm. kind of comedic mm-hmm. uh, action movies, like, definitely crushed it. And they, I think that he was picked for the correct episode. It opens a little, not jarring, but um, it's a commercial that opens it, right? Commercial for the uh, GRC. Yeah, it's infomercial. For a group that's kind of being hinted at as being somewhat villainous in some way, or at least uh, some people feel that way. Uh, like there's... I feel that way. Yeah, and <laughs> it's a council, but like it almost seems like it's this you know, big brother sort of, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the, uh, the feeling they seem to want us to have, but I'm a little unclear on what exactly they're doing other than like, we, we see a, like a refuge place that they, they're keeping people, but they don't really clarify. A displacement camp. Right. So it's, and correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. Like the, the GRC seems to be putting more priority on people that were blipped back into existence over people that had to suffer during that five years that weren't blipped. Is that correct? Or weren't snapped? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's what the flag smashers are partly angry about, but I'm just, like I said, I'm a little confused because we see, uh, one of the flight smashers living at one of these facilities. So it, if she was one of the people that was already here, whenever people got blipped back, uh, 
how did she wind up there? Are they taking people that were already established and removing them uh, to make way for uh, the blitz? Well, they're they're kind of seemingly controlling all of the world's resources, um, <laughs> <laughs> like you know, from from medicine to food to shelter. Yeah, and yeah. Eventually, you know. You know, we we have this infomercial rollout. Um, it's very peaceful infomercial in vain of like Greenpeace or, um, you know, a lot of uh, FEMA or something like that, like a post Katrina kind the of thing. The South Park episode. We're post- sorry. <laughs> yeah, we're sorry. sorry. Exactly. Um, I think their their uh, their their motto is reset, restore, and rebuild. Or but is it yeah? You know, yeah. It, or recreate or restore? Yeah. I don't know. So, something Can't read like my own that. Handwriting. But but they're. They're a front-facing, shadowy organization that are, is legitimately controlling the world's resources and seemingly utilizing John Walker and the United States military to do their bidding eventually. Yeah, I have some stuff I want to talk about John Walker, and we'll kind of like go over a scene that was basically f- directly followed that commercial. Yeah, because the commercial cuts directly from you know this very peaceful infomercial thing telling everyone like, oh, it's fine, we're here to help, to a – GRC vehicle rolling up and deploying John Walker to take out literally kicking a door down, (laughs) literally kicking a door down and forcefully using his position of power to, to get information and and what he wants and what, what the GRC deems, you know, right. So going back to, cause we, you kind of addressed it. I, I, I research obviously between episodes and different articles, different podcasts. And John, you had talked about, um, the line that Tommy Lee Jones had said that sort of had a callback about um, wars won with guts. And like, it had me thinking like John Walker is basically if Tommy Lee Jones chose that douchebag that Peggy Carter ended up like punching out to the ground, that's who would have been captain America. And that's kind of like who they've chosen in John Walker. And because, you know, Steven was a weakling and that's what sort of made him unique for him to be chosen uh, and why Erskine chose him. Cause that wasn't, remember that wasn't Tommy Lee Jones's character's choice. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, and it's also, you have to wonder the fact that John Walker has his wife as a person of color and his childhood best friend and soldier in arms is a black man. Was he cherry picked specifically because of these attributes to, you know, I know a black person, I can't be racist. And John Walker, maybe he's a stooge, maybe he's a bootlicker a little bit, but like he's also intelligent and, you know, you know, aced all these types of tests, whether he consciously or subconsciously maybe starting to realize these kinds of things is kind of why that chip on his shoulder, I think, is getting heavier and heavier. And when he kicks the door in for this little interrogation um you can see that chip and and he gets spat in the face and uh so the 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 moniker captain america is not being respected by these people and uh he, he ends up losing his cool and yelling do you know who i am and the guy basically says he does he just doesn't care so i think that's kind of yeah. where john walker's character is going to keep going further and further down that rabbit hole and and he's going to eventually just go off the rails i think that do you know who i am line like kind of shows walker's true colors here um and and it, it juxtaposes the juxtaposes like very much how how steve kind of you know did things steve kind of um was doing what was right um 
sometimes despite breaking the law and Walker here is doing what is wrong while completely upholding the law and using his position of power, um, you know, to, to get respect and ego, um, you know, you could tell that it means a great deal to Walker. I've speculated in uh, past episodes that the weight of this mantle is going to be one of the things that causes uh, Walker to kind of snap and become like a, um, more of an antagonist and he has this entitlement to respect like he both kind of uh, talked about where he feels he's done the work kind of to, to deserve the mantle to a degree but yeah yeah I mean he's obviously a good soldier and everything but uh, going back to like the first Avenger it's not uh, the mantle of Captain America shouldn't go to a, a, a perfect soldier it should go to a good man like Steve kind of always felt like the shield and this uniform was something that he had to live up to. Like he had to live up to being Captain America and being that symbol and wearing that uniform and, and donning that shield where, where Walker kind of sees the uniform as something that, that gives him power, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and just, just having that uniform and, and, and donning that shield demands respect. Yeah. Even from the get go, Steve basically started questioning, you know, or, or becoming disillusioned with government, like from from the get go as Captain America, and more and more so throughout his arc in the MCU. Like, I mean, he was a a dancing monkey at first, and then he does legitimately become Captain America. But each movie and each entry is him trusting, you know, government and government oversight less and less. And here is John as the poster boy of you know government authority. It's just, it's black and white. Yeah. I I don't, yeah. Sometimes what the government's doing isn't the right thing to do. And John Walker is going to go ahead and do it. And he's going to be doing bad things while obtaining the law, as opposed to Steve, who would straight up say, you know, obtaining the law might not be the right thing to do here. I'm going to do what I think is right and what the right thing to do actually is. Also, I don't think Steve would would like um, John Walker's potty mouth. He curses quite a bit in this first scene. Yeah, he sure does. Yeah, yeah. I kept thinking of the the language line that Steve would be giving him when he says, I "There's a lot shit. of callbacks." Whether they are just like things that I'm noticing that weren't supposed to be there, but like I have, I have quite a few from callbacks from different movies in this. Um, some overt, some maybe just me my imagination. <laughs> but that's definitely a good point. Uh, his potty mouth and and the language line. Yeah, I mean, like, the Eastern European man that, that he has held up and and says, like, do you know who I am, too? One of the key lines in the episode that I've written down is that guy's response is, you Americans have become the brutes. And, and it's kind of like the difference between operating within the law and thinking, you know, you are the law. You know, that's kind of the difference between democracy and, and fascism, you know, Um those in power, you know, thinking that they're better than the disenfranchised at the end of the day is legitimate fascism as opposed to, you know, giving the disenfranchised some power and understanding their struggle as much. You know, you're just there to take over and tell them what's right and wrong. I am the law! Stallone would yell. I was going to bring that up. Here, I figured I'd let it pass. <laughs> or, 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 yeah, or, or, I was just thinking of Dread and how good of a movie that, if I can 
2012 yeah, with with Urban. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have Armand Desante in it though, and these who is, who is his clone, but looks like Armand Armand Desante and not Sylvester Stallone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whatever. But has the same fingerprint. Ah, let's let's not go there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Join yeah. us for our Judge yeah, Dread yeah, yeah, podcast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Please, please, please. Called the law straight up. Just called the law. <laughs> I mean, Steve was a great Captain America because he had flaws, you know, and he had a simple philosophy where I don't like bullies and I don't care where they come from, whether they were American, whether they were German Nazis, whether they were robots, androids or wizards or what was it? Androids, um, aliens and wizards. Um, That was his philosophy. I don't like bullies uh, no matter where they come from. So right here we see Walker being a, bully, a straight up yeah. bully and Americans being straight up bullies and Walker acting on the will of the GRC, which is kind of scary. Um, at the end of the day, I think the GRC and the power broker are going to be directly related. Um, you know, they're controlling the resources for the disenfranchised at this point. So the disenfranchised are kind of at their mercy. Um, they're controlling the resources of those in power with um, the people who are acting out and and protecting that power and acting upon that power with guys like the United States military and John Walker here. Um, I, I think that the power broker at the end of the day is going to be divvying it up on all shapes and, and cylinders pretty much. Uh, we aren't quite to a point where we would start speculating the episode, but do you have any theories on who the power broker might be? Mephesto. Okay, yeah, or Fox's Quicksilver, <laughs> or legendary yeah. Hall of Famer Dick Buckus. Yeah, shout out to Battlestar's outfit having a star on it, too. I didn't get a clear look of it the first episode. It looked really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it's on, like, a bulletproof vest, isn't it? I, I like yeah, it. Yeah, it's a cool look in general, uh, I I think, yeah. I, uh, I don't know what to think about that character still. Um, part of me wants to think that when... John fully goes off the deep end. He may actually like kill him, and that's going to be like his, you know, uh, U.S. The, uh, taking on the moniker of U.S. agent, like uh, maybe a, to convey to us his last like vestige of humanity and 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 to what he was is gone and never coming back. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, or it could be the it could be the exact opposite that Battlestar is there manipulating him uh, for the means of power. That's where I'm leaning. Could be. You think Battlestar is manipulating John Walker right now, Travis? Yes, from the, the moment we see him. He he he, he wow. voiced that last week. Yes. I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I'm not committed to it, but like if it happens, I'm not going to be surprised. Like it it. Yeah, because I don't. I think we'll have John Walker in the future, and they'll have to bring him back from the brink of being an antagonist somehow. Maybe. And. Being betrayed by his best friend is as good a way as any. Uh, yeah, agreed. Before we do actually move on to the next scene, I do want to mention, because um, I read that Wyatt Russell is um, having to be subjected to actual online harassment from, I don't know if it's comic book fans or Bush League comic book fans. I, I've read even death threats, which is just preposterous. I don't know if that's true. I know Wyatt Russell surely knew the character he was going to be playing, um, and that he's playing, you know, not Steve's actual replacement, you know, and, and I, people need to just calm down a little bit. He's not supposed to be like, but you're not supposed to like attack the actor. I, I think he's doing a great right, job, yeah. especially from the parts that he was 
previously known for playing a lot of stoners and surfer type dudes. I think he's doing a really good job in this role. And I think disliking him means that why Russell's doing a good job. So please don't dislike the person for Christ's sake. It must be tough waking up and looking like fucking white Russell every day. And, you know, like, I don't feel too bad for I'm not guy. saying I feel bad for him, but, like, people are – well, people are fucking people. Most people are idiots. Go on. What were you going to say, Travis? No, you know, I've seen a few interviews with him this week, and he had an idea. He knew that he was going to be getting some hate. He's not a big social media person, Good. so he's not – yeah, yeah, it's not, like, a thing for him. Yeah. Uh, He's enjoyed some of the memes that it has friends have sent him, but yeah. Uh, the, the up guy being the favorite that he mentioned. And that's not, he doesn't even look like that guy. Only in the helmet does he look like that guy. He looks like a garden gnome, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I, I've been saying that from the beginning. He looks like a fucking garden gnome, and I'm, I'm, it's got to be intentional. They designed that thing on purpose just to make him look horrible. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, to get across even further that he's an asshole. Yeah. I watched the sh- episode with my mother today, and uh, hi, shout out mom. to my mom. She's actually in, in the house right <gasps> Is now. Is she going to come um, on the episode and say hi? Yeah, she's, she's probably going to bring Titino's pizza rolls. Up <laughs> what are you, like, yeah, fucking seven years old? <laughs> yeah, she's 100% going to. Um but um, yeah, she's like, oh my god, that's you know, we we she's a big fan of Kurt Russell and and Goldie Hawn, so she was shocked when I was like, yeah, that's uh, Kurt Russell's kid. She's like shocked and yeah. Now we just we just need Goldie Hawn to play a Marvel villain, and then we'll that that whole family can go fuck the trifecta there. Yeah, uh, Russells. When we move into the next scene with Zemo's cell, the score so good. I've said it on every episode of our. Um, Winter Soldier Falcon miniseries that we've had so far, but Henry Jackson being back um, on the scoring duties and doing the music for this episode. Uh, the theme from Civil War, the, the Zemo yep. theme with that sad cello music is so good. And it pops up a couple times in the episode in various forms. Um, but it was especially fitting because it's so somber and and kind of maniacal and and the cellos in that that minor key are just you know it's it's menacing and somber at the same time and and you know the tone we mentioned it obviously we topped the episode off with it with the silence mm-hmm. of the lambs yeah. vibes uh being very very heavy where you know a hero's coming to a prison for the help of an antagonist um to catch another antagonist only to lead to his inevitable escape from said prison. Um, but it, it really, you know, it set the mood instantly. And I, I thought the prison looked great. I, it, again, we said the Magneto vibes last week, but it wasn't too overdone. Like, like the raft and these other super um, villain prisons that we've seen are kind of silly sometimes where you pan out and you find out they're like spaceships. I, I liked how it was realistic. Right. Basically. One thing I do want to mention is that it was nice seeing a villain in prison for once. Like uh, the current ratio of like people we've seen locked up in the MCU so far is very skewed because of the end of civil war where we see a bunch of heroes in there. And mm-hmm. like Zemo's, uh, it's like Zemo, uh, Trevor Sidery and Justin Hammer are the only villains we've seen in a jail. Blonsky's somewhere, right? Blonsky. Yes, we don't know where necessarily, I don't think. It doesn't take, like, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but it, it's just, 
It's just funny that they're wasting taxpayer pay money for the raft, and they're just putting these four guys in there. Yeah, there should have been some films. <laughs> they're uh, putting Paul Rudd in there. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a menace. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's if I, if Blonsky was going to be anywhere, it would have made sense to be there, but what are you going to do? Well, I just want to see him use it again and keep someone there, for God's sake. Yeah. And, you know, we... Yeah. Uh, well, the, the vulture, I guess. Too, we had seen... That at the end of Civil War, he was sort of in that same containment cell as that Bucky had been kept in, wasn't he? And he was being overseen by the CIA because Ross was sort of taunting him. But that was in Germany, though, right? That was, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, so he, he's where we left him for the most part. And I did enjoy the cinematography of that scene where you just hear him start saying the trigger words from the shadow. So we, we got that one right last week, too. And uh, then kind of like comes out yeah. of the shadow and uh, Bucky kind of stops him after the third word. The classic uh, Jonathan Demme style cinematography too with the really, really close up coming out of the shadows. Again, the Silence of the Lambs vibes and Jonathan Demme, you know, rest in peace. The guy passed away, but I, I kind of think he's one of the more underrated of the big directors to come out of the late eighties and the early nineties, you know, um, and, and silence of the lambs in particular is responsible for pretty much the way, like all of TV looks now, like silence of the lambs and like seven, oddly enough, like every CSI kind of looks like it, every fucking procedural cop show ever i feel like csi kind of takes a lot from like um tony uh tony scott tony scott yeah with the the, the, like bleach yeah yeah saturated thing yeah yeah jonathan demi and tony scott are like literally like the most underrated i love i don't think tony scott's underrated i mean it sucks what happened to him but i love like all uh, you know true romance amazing like their influence their influence on how much they like impacted what we look at and the visual language of modern cinema i think is kind of underrated like tony scott's older brother gets a lot more because he's much more tony subtle scott and gets, you know you know yeah yeah not as sty- yeah, yeah. not ridley scott's exactly. not as stylized as as his brother basically yeah. yeah yeah pretty much pretty much but but that scene um after he says the code words i i liked how it was kind of flipped you know where you know, Zemo's used to being the one in control when he says those words. And in this instance, you know, it's like, no, I'm in control. You're in the cage now, motherfucker. But again, hinting a little bit to what we're going to get to a little bit later on the episode, like, and a lot of what we're dealing with in the show, like how much Bucky can escape his past and how much of his past he's going to have to use to move forward into the future. You know, I'm looking forward to that conversation in that scene when we get to it um because it's very interesting yeah, yeah it's huge so it, it's kind of like a cut back and forth edited uh, uh we haven't quite seen jump cuts like this in the previous episodes um when bucky is basically informing sam that he's already broken zemo out of prison oh and yeah sort of see it as a flash like an ocean's 11 type yeah 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 those cuts were great though yeah, I, I like just the way and then his reveal that he's already there. I mean, we knew it as an audience. Uh, Sam didn't realize it until mm-hmm. he sort of makes his, you know, you see his shadow first on the plastic. You sort of like, you know, whatever. And, and, and they're revealed to be in, I guess, Zemo's, you know, <laughs> garage of, you know, souped up millionaire cars. 
<laughs> if you were housing the only supervillain to have taken down the Avengers that lives on planet Earth, you would not be letting this guy read the most famous book about manipulation not, of power, no. <laughs> um, ever written. You, yeah, you would give him green eggs and ham. Um, <laughs> you know the Lorax. I, I not, think not, the, until, not today I mean, they would not, well, not anymore. Not yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that's what they do with canceled books. They uh, just send like the Mister Potato Head adaptations and all the Doctor Seuss books with the Chinese <laughs> characters to German prisons, and that's that's what they're doing with all these old copies. <laughs> but again, um, <laughs> the the whole idea of the the Machiavellian manipulation of power and how you can use um, use people to your advantage. The entire staged escape the entire prison break is is again going back to the machiavellian manipulation of power how can i use other people to get me to the place where i want to be i'm going to stage a fight i'm going to you know start you know i'm going to manipulate two other people to start a fight which is going to clear the way of these other people and that fight's going to manipulate the guards to go into here and then i'm going to pull the fire alarm and all these events are eventually leading to where zemo and bucky want him to B. Um, so a little spot on the nose, you know, having the prince in there. But again, sometimes you don't need subtlety to, to make your point. It was awesome. Uh, I assume it was uh, Winter Soldier that got whatever it was that was in the book uh, to him or whatever, but they don't really show how he did that. I assume he bribed the guard, but we don't really see that. And it's a minor thing that's kind of an important thing that uh, he does say the meatware. So he's talking about the people or. Mm -hmm. weakness in the system yeah it's not the hardware flaw yeah. it's not the software it's the meatware yeah. i like that i've yeah. never heard of people um described as meatware but i do like that now i'll, I'll call my fellow yes, employees that's good. That now. you you would think it would also be a, a higher security prison i know i mean that I mean, this is definitely fine. a suspension of disbelief uh situation mm -hmm. but i mean again it's showcasing yeah what Baron Zemo does best and, and that's manipulation. And, and that's something we should definitely be keeping in mind while he is, you know, in this, um, Leo gets to, um, Sam and Bucky's Riggs and Murtaugh sort of triumvirate, yeah. um, that they're probably, <laughs> you know, there's more going on with Zemo than maybe they should be paying attention to that. They, that they're not paying attention. Okay, I got it, I got it. Okay, yeah. okay, here, okay. I wasn't thinking I wasn't thinking that Zemo was gonna be so mouthy. I was pleasantly surprised. And hamming it up. Like I'm Daniel Brule hamming it up, especially mm -hmm. the scene. I don't want to jump too mm -hmm. like it's it's not jumping too far ahead, but when they get on the plane and he's given his glass of champagne, just you gotta watch his <laughs> acting with it, like drinking the champagne glass. It's, yeah, yeah. it's it, it, I, I love the guy. Yeah, I think it's another example of Marvel listening to com the complaints about their movies and taking it to heart and addressing it where last time they didn't people didn't like zemo because he's not there uh people didn't like the behind the scenes type villain and uh he's much more present now and uh just entertaining in general i i liked civil war thing but yeah. it's not too overt though it, it is rather subtle and natural feeling it's not like a complete change of character for Zemo. Yeah, that, and we've really only seen him when he's in revenge mode. Uh, so it's like he's probably a, a normal human to a degree. You know, like him joking and stuff. Everyone jokes pretty much. It's, I think the heaviest retcon is he didn't seem like he wasn't presented to us like this fabulously wealthy royal baron 
in he he was seemed more of an everyday even you know even though he was like you know a of counterintelligence for a you know a faction of you know this guerrilla type um you know yeah well uh like he, he's he uh, some people uh, some people are considering a very heavy and possibly even a little too big to swallow retcon on the character um, they, they, it seemed like, you know, they were sort of had to be taken out of a city to find refuge at the, his father's house, which you assume is like some sort of cabin. But meanwhile, they should have had a bomb shelter underneath a castle or something. No, I didn't mind the, uh, the Baron retcon just cause I, I wanted him to be called. Of Baron course, of course <laughs> we needed to get there. Uh, and like, it kind of makes him seem like a more honorable character where he, he's like a guy that. Had money, didn't need to go into the service, but he did anyway to serve his country. And now he's uh, he's kind of a patriot yeah. in a way. Not uh, and uh, you know, we see later where he uh, fucking calls uh, Bucky and uh, Falcon out on like, did you ever go and see this? Yeah, that's later. That's uh, all the way towards the end. That's yeah. just way and ahead, though. I did like you know again talking about Daniel Bruhl's and like the three of them really the dynamic thing the three of them when he does make his appearance and you know, he's I. He says, uh, if I may, and they both interrupt him and shout no at him, and he sort of mutters, like, my apologies, uh, and then I really think I'm invaluable. It, it, it rem- Again, I've seen callbacks that maybe aren't there remind me of the scene where um, Tony's trying to convince Bruce in Ultron to put Jarvis in vision and Jarvis is, is witnessing mm-hmm. it saying, I, I think it's worth a go, <laughs> and it's <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it seemed it, yeah, yeah. It was, it, that's like a penguin off in the back of my head for that and um just and then his smirk before because this was still part of a cold open really because it wasn't until sam says like okay zemo where do we start and daniel Bruhl smirks and we get the falcon and the winter soldier um title okay. card. Yeah, oh yeah that's when the, that's when the logo popped i didn't up, even right? the title realize that i actually i I didn't even think about when the logo popped up or how long that scene went. Uh, before we move on from the garage scene, though, I obviously loved that we got the purple mask and like. Oh yeah. Instead of going for like a, uh, instead of going for like a, a rational explanation for why he wears a purple mask, he like no, I just fucking have it. It's cool, and uh, I, I I'm going to imagine that he probably used it when he was hunting Hydra officers on in the instances where. He didn't want to be recognized. He did something more heavy duty than a normal ski mask. I hope it is a significant reason because he seems to put it on when the stunt double has to do the work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I'm kind of bummed that we didn't see him with the saber yet. Like it's like the last bit of a skit. Oh, we'll get there. His uh, trench coat though, with the fur at the top, yeah, is yeah. very reminiscent of his his comic book. His comic book costume. It reminds me of the Vultures type deal where he's got like the fur coat where it's just fly coat, yeah. Just enough of the the comic uh, uh, material there for me to really love it. A brilliant way to do it, too. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like the people that do the concept art for the. uh, for the Marvel movies are just top notch. I own a, a few of the art books and it just the amount of designs that they could have went with that look just as good as what they do go with. Uh, it's really impressive. Kind of fucked up, and this is definitely grasping at straws. When I noticed Sam in the garage, I realized this is really a story about a guy named Sam on a quest oh, with a character who sake. possesses an evil power. 
Um, in this case, it's a super soldier serum, but it could possibly be a ring in another story. And the two are traveling a very long distance to destroy this power. Along the way, um, they make an alliance, an unlikely alliance with a villain, and eventually um, meet a hooded stranger in a bar, which happens in this episode, who turns out to be their savior. Um, so <laughs> I just wanted to point that out before moving on. We could talk about Baron Zemo more. <laughs> Grasping at straws, indeed. Yeah, yeah. I'm just proud of you putting all that together. Like I, I wouldn't have that. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah. E for yeah, F. Thanks. Uh, thanks, guys. I had way too much time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, much like in the comic books, we find out that Baron Zemo is royalty. He is indeed a baron of some land, and they have been for some land. Um. In the comics, his dad was a mad scientist, uh, mad scientist, uh, mad, <laughs> mad scientist. That's what uh, Germans call scientists. Um, was he his a name Nazi? was Heinrich Zemo, and um, he was a Nazi. Um, he aided the Germans during World War II, and uh, he raised um, uh, young Helmut uh, Zemo to worship the Master Priest. Hmm. Um, and uh, that, that kind of caused uh, Baron Zemo to get kind of power hungry at a very young age. Um, eventually, Captain America might have killed uh, his dad. Um, so that's kind of where that rivalry came from in the comics. And and Travis, you, you mentioned it before. There's no real reason for him to have the mask in the TV show. Um, but in the comics, um, Captain America kind of shot a vat of acid and it like exploded and got all over his face uh you know, causing all this scarring, and that's what made him hmm. put the mask on uh, in the comic kind book. Kind of a Doctor so, Doom-esque. Uh, yeah, yeah, Doctor Doom, the Joker, like yeah, all yeah. sorts of bad guys, he, you know what I mean? Falls into a vat of acid. He goes and into that, that trope of uh, facial disfigurement means you're a villain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Which I'm is not an going unfortunate to, trope. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not... It's a staple of the comic book series i'm not going to complain about it too much like it's just a thing to note i um i'm thinking you know this introduction into zemo and making him such a character well i'm thinking and i'm hoping that doing this makes the audience kind of hungry for more zemo um and and marvel does listen and marvel is doing this to make us more hungry because i really hope that they have more plans for him um, there's rumors, you know, of, of Thunderbolt Ross, uh, coming back in, in Black Widow and She-Hulk. We know Taskmaster's coming, Black Widow's sister. Well, he's definitely in Black Widow. Like, there's footage of him in trailers, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, I, I'm really hoping that this is setting up for either, you know, Dark Avengers or the Thunderbolts or the Masters of Evil or something, something along yeah. those lines. I would say yeah. that's... I would love a definitely. super they villain gotta team. Get there. I, I definitely, I want definitely want Zemo to continue on past this series, so we can uh, get just more of long term villains in general. And we can't rely on the Sinister Six because that the whole Sony debacle. Yeah, that that definitely sucks. Uh, um, some of those cars, by the way, in Zemo's compounds uh, were used on the set of the first Avenger Captain America movie. Oh, really? Um. Yeah, those were cars that they used okay. during the Brooklyn scene. Uh, I just thought that was kind of a note. I was reading some production notes and stuff like that from some of the uh, production crew that I follow on Instagram. And they're like, yeah, we've had these cars in storage for Marvel for years, and we finally got to use them again. So Interesting. What did you guys think? You know, they leave the compound. We find out that Zemo's rich, and, and he a owns his jet, fucking yeah. plane. And we get, like, his... Yeah, dude, his Alfred yeah. is crazy. Like his butler creepy. is crazy old. Hmm? 
a little bit. Easy old. It's like, and would would Zemo not suspect that? at least Bucky would understand German before he tells him to give him the bad food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Because I'm just, I imagine both of them fucking knew what he was saying, but it was a funny line anyway. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, it, it, he was old and, and, you know, creepy a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think they, I enjoy their choice of actor. I totally forgot it's not that I forgot, but, and again, this is going to play a little bit more into the end of the episode, which I feel is something we say all the time. It's so hard to dance around subjects sometimes, but like, let's just straight up say it. Like Wakanda comes back very big time by the end of this episode. And they start laying those breadcrumbs very early on in the episode with um, Sam and Bucky kind of recounting mm-hmm. the events of civil war, mm-hmm. which, you know, I always think, Oh, he broke up the Avengers, but even more than that, he shot the King of an entire nation and that nation is probably super pissed. And I never really put that into the context of the Marvel cinematic universe until they started bringing it up so heavily in this episode. I, and I thought that was a really interesting thing to focus on um, in terms of what Zemo's crime was, you know, well, he didn't shoot him. He sort of, he, there was an explosion that King T'Chaka was, yeah, 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 yeah. He blew him up. That's what I meant to oh, say. But yeah, he assassinated him regardless. Responsible for their you know? king's death, one hundred percent. Yeah. You know, I always think of what was Zemo's horrible crime that is being locked up for, and it's all this fucked up shit that he did to Tony and all that. But, but more than anything, it's probably bombing the United Nations and, and killing yeah. King T'Chaka, mm-hmm. which and I thought was kind Tony of a even fun mentions thing to that, kind of frame uh, when he's uh, confronting the, Cap. That you know, mm-hmm. having Bucky be in a you know mental facility in the united states is a lot better than uh you know a prison in wakanda Wakanda prison which is where he was gonna go if if steve didn't play ball i guess they had um you know dibs on him but um and then we're on the we're on the jet plane and we see that zemo has we're not coming back again What's that? We're on the jet plane and we're not coming back again. It was a dumb it was oh, a dumb joke, Jesus dude. I'm Lord. so sorry. <laughs> but what does Zemo have in his possession? He's got Bucky's book, which we find out <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> we find out is Steve's book. So we said that it was kind of like a mirror of Steve with the book, but it's actually Steve's book. Did you guys know that? I didn't. No, I I didn't know that. I Probably should have, but yeah, I I didn't put it together like that. Eh. I thought old people just like books. I know I, I do. Like, yeah. And yeah, yeah. So he zeroes in on, on a particular name that I have to think is going to end up coming back in in a later episode. He sees Mister Nakajima's name, and Bucky gets really upset about yeah. it. So are we thinking that there's going to be a falling out between Zemo and Falcon and Winter Soldier and you know, sort of, he's going to go like, maybe like the last episode sort of twist where I feel like that has happened in like a silence of the lambs movie or something like that, where, Oh yeah. He's going to go, go after him. Uh, Cause maybe he feels betrayed by Bucky and Sam. I don't know. We'll see. I cannot see Zemo lasting as a protagonist for much longer. No, no, than no, 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 Like he's going not. to serve his purpose and he is going to be out. I'm surprised like, it didn't happen in this episode. Like, you know what I mean? I'm glad it didn't. Me, uh, I'm me glad too. It didn't. Me too. 
Yeah, fleshing out this character is is interesting because, like, back to that that note, he's like, "Oh, I know that note. I I know that notebook. I told Steve to write about Trouble Man by Marvin Gaye." I love that that, yeah, that whole exchange. Yeah, that's is so yeah, funny. Maybe my favorite part of the uh, like, yeah, as far as the humorous stuff, like the bit where Zemo is talking about how it represents the African American experience, and and that like. He's completely out of line, but he's, but he's, he's right. He's right. He's right. <laughs> and he's like, I like Marvin Gaye. He's like, Steve adored Marvin Gaye. It's like, just... you, can get to see, you can get to see Mikey. Like, he is an old guy. He likes the music of his time more than anything newer. Uh, but the the fact that they're talking about, you know, how Steve liked Marvin Gaye sort of brings us uh, into this uh, next line of, of dialogue, which is, um, and we also spoke about this. Um, about how Steve and Bucky feel about Steve and the, yeah, you know, infallible sort of presence they put on him. And Zemo talks about putting them on pedestals and they become symbols and they become icons. And then we forget about the flaws and that's when cities start flying. And that's a direct callback to a line that he has in Civil War where he finally sees Steve Rogers up close and he says, uh, I see a little bit of green in your blue eyes. It's so nice to see a flaw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That that stuff is great. Um, Zemo bringing up in that conversation, you know, the, the, the fallacies and the flaws within these things that we consider, you know, so aspirational and that we do put on pedestals. And at the end of the day, um, you know, symbols are dangerous when people put too much faith into them because they are flawed. He, he has another line directly after that. Do you want to live in a world uh, full of people like the Red Skull? <laughs> um, you know, and, and some, again, sometimes these symbols can be usurped for evil. And usually are. Yeah. And we're seeing it. We literally just saw it in the previous scene. You know, mm-hmm. it's again, the prince was a little on the nose, um, you know, having him read Machiavelli, but, you know, having a conversation like this and it's like, do you get the point? Like right after we see John Walker, you know, abusing his power, being like a straight up fucking fascist for the uh, the agency that's supposedly saving the fucking world. Um, you know, it's it's pretty interesting stuff and, and really relevant to, to modern politics. You know, I, I don't really want to bring up Trump. It revolves around Biden stuff just as mm-hmm, much. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, no matter what side you're on there's this tendency to neglect, you know, the wrongdoings and the flaws of whoever the leader of that party is, you know? Yeah. We want to believe in those both sides. We want to believe in those core messages. And then we neglect the actual flaws of the people and the symbols, putting those messages into place. 100%. My big takeaway from that whole thing was that they mentioned the red skulls and I was very happy about that. Yeah. Yeah, I want to see him again someday, but there isn't, didn't more than just one person have that moniker in the comic books? Oh, dude, he's been like clones. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So like, oh yeah, he's like yeah. a teenager Whoa. now, dude. He lived in Professor X's. Yeah, mind I, for know, a I know, I know. <laughs> and just from a practical uh, casting point of view, we've already seen a different actor than Hugo Weaving play the character. But doing so. a shameless Hugo Weaving impression. <laughs> I am fine with that. If you doesn't want to come back and So you don't want a completely new character being a Red Skull, you want that version back is what you're saying? Al Pacino as well, a Red Skull. You heard it here first. Evan Peters, Evan Peters I want, as a Red Skull. I want this version of the Red Skull to come back <laughs> because he seems to have gained some type of mystical powers, so not just Yeah, but he's not like soldier. he sort of has transcended that sort of like evil, like, you know, 
uh, you know, power hungry. Just being a regular degular. Are, are you going Nazi? to say that he's a reformed <laughs> Nazi at this point? Can I'm saying that like Nazi? he seems no. to be not. There were a bunch of those in Argentina. That, that is like, not what I'm saying. <laughs> And he's not a Nazi. He's Hydra, so he's something. No, no, I am not defending. I'm not defending that. No, some of them are very fine people. I'm saying that by by touching the space stone and being transported to Vormir, he seems to have transcended a per the who he used to be and he's sort of just become almost this like guardian of the soul stone and he's not really evil because you know he's just standing there watching Natasha. He does and- seem to be more of a neutral force at that point but that's what i'm trying to thank you for he's... explaining it that way <laughs> yeah yeah no i was just gonna chaotic good neutral good chaotic yeah good, yeah <laughs> at this point but i mean evil is alluring it's 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 hard to break away from it for good uh yeah and and again zemo terrible totally evil person mm-hmm. but his this scene kind of we got to see a lot of his ideologies and and to me the ideologies and these kind of almost i hate to use the word like educated kind of defenses of your own ideals and your own ideologies it's definitely elevating him in my book above your standard um mcu villain right now Um, i was gonna say his ideals specifically how he feels about super soldiers and powered people almost as we see in a later scene becomes a weakness to his character for not being able to, uh, you know, resist. We'll talk about it when we mm-hmm. get there. Yeah, dude, the best the best kind of bad guys are the ones who don't know they're wrong and truly believe what they're doing is right and aren't just twisting their their mustaches kind of where they like they kind of have a point. Um, you know, we've mentioned Killmonger, we've mentioned Magneto where it's like, yeah, the guy kind of makes sense, but this guy's a fucked up, manipulated fucking asshole. Uh, and Zemo is definitely a fucked up, manipulating asshole. Um, even though he's kind of classy. I like, you know, I like his style. You're um, trash. I like his butler. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, I'm a big, you know, Euro trash scumbag, <laughs> but I, I do like it. You know, he wears cool jackets. He drives cool and he, cars. He rocks and... purple. Better, um, better than yeah, Nick Fury? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not going to say that, but... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of get a very... Um, you know, brief glimpse. They say, you know, we're heading to Madripoor, mm-hmm. right? Well, um, before we jump to Madripoor, there is that brief scene of the GRC camp, right? Well, before we go, get to, uh, there was actually a little nitpick I had here. Uh, Let's hear it. We love nitpicks here. Yeah, yeah. Getting okay, at, at one I'm point, Sam, in quotes. yeah, so am I. At, at one point, Sam says, y'all talk about it like it's Skull Island and referring to, uh, to Madripoor, and I just feel like there's a scene cut there because literally Zemo is the only one that says anything about Madripoor. I, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I I forgot to go back and see had Sam and Bucky been discussing Madripoor prior to that, so they hadn't. Yeah, no, no, like interesting. Bucky says nothing about it. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's like as minor as nitpick you. Uh, no, you're probably right. There's probably a deleted scene. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, onto the yeah. With King Kong. Kong and Godzilla. Mm-hmm. No, that's quick, quick rundown. What do you guys think of Kong vs. Godzilla? I did not. Quick. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. So here's the deal, and I'll go off on this tangent right now because I, yeah, yeah, we got one it minute. Hit, and I was like, I got to go back and watch all these things. So I, I watched like seventy five percent of the first Godzilla movie, and that was it. And 
by the time I was three quarters of the way through Kong Skull Island, I was watching Infinity War. I, I cannot oh get God. into those movies. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. what it is. But um, I tried, and I might just with do. I, can I enjoy the, uh, Kong yeah, versus yeah. Godzilla without seeing all the yes. other ones? Yes. That's problem. Yes, it's a giant monkey. I understand that, but you know what I mean. Like these movies these days, you have to see no. everything. It's a, it's a no, no, no. I'll no, probably. No, no. It's a tight. It's a tight ninety minute or like hour forty five. I'd say three quarters of it is a fight okay. scene. I'll, well, I'll, I'll, I'll jump right scene. in. So it's like Transformers, basically, where you're just watching robots beat shit. Beat shit it's like if Transformers was only the good parts actually look good and like was a good movie. <laughs> hey, I like the first like Transformers that. movie, asshole. <laughs> no, I, dude, I know I, I'm kind of a Michael Bay defender. You know, I, I like that kind of super slick. Bumblebee was also good. Shitty. Yeah, Bumblebee was great. Again, uh, yeah, you really liked Bumblebee, even though it is pretty much an identical movie to the first Transformers Except movie, just they, with better designs. Yeah, they they mm-hmm. sort of gave us. They listened to everybody's complaint about not being very faithful to to the cartoon, and gave yeah, it, gave yeah. it completely retconned everything, but gave it to us. So, so now we're talking. We went yeah, for talking I, Godzilla King. Well, I I think a lot of people complained about the first two Godzilla movies that there were too many people fucking yeah. talking, <laughs> and Godzilla vs Kong. There's not a lot of people talking. It's a lot Here's of what sucks about like that I lost enthusiasm in Kong Skull Island is like there's no reason for me because I was like, who the f- I'm like, look at all these fucking people. I mean, there's a shit ton of MCU people in it. There's Tom Hiddleston, yeah, John C. John C. Riley, Riley um, uh, Captain Marvel. What's her name again? Uh, um. Oh, she hates yeah, Marvel. Brie Larson. Brie Larson. Brie Larson's Brie Larson. in it. Mm-hmm. Sam Jackson, like, and I, I did not know John C. Riley was in it. I'm like, there's no reason why I shouldn't like this movie. And I, Toby Cabell, who played Doctor Doom in that shitty uh, Josh oh, Schneider movie. We don't count that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I love Kong Skull Island, but. Um, before we get to Madripoor, there is that very. <laughs> see how I. All right, back, back to it, back to it. <laughs> Um, before we get to Magic War, there's that very brief scene at the GRC um, camp where we see uh, Carly Morgenthal kind of playing football. Um, I kind of like how they're kind of showcasing um, the Flag Smashers as as people and not like explicitly as villains. Um, it's really hard not to root for people. Further and further each episode is... Yeah. I said they're not going to be villains for very well. They long. they do they do some pretty you know they go back on it yeah yeah they do some fucked up shit this episode but she um, does she does as she a lieutenant does. wasn't even into it. There's a good amount of like the ends justify the means here in this episode with a few characters yeah on on many different sides yeah yeah, yeah. but we see her at this camp um, tending to her um, her loved one whose name I have written down here. Uh, Mama, don't you wish your boyfriend was hot like me? That was it. Yep, that was it. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who's not a comic book character? Her name is actually uh, Mama Donya, which is a cool name. Um, Madonna, um, uh, and which is probably a reference to uh, the Punisher series, not like a uh, conti- oh, maybe in continuity thing, just like a nod. Yeah. Yeah, it might be. It might be. No, because uh, some of the same people worked on this that worked on that. The scene where she's grieving over uh, Mama Donnie's, um, you know, you know, she's dying of whatever cancer or whatever. She has tuberculosis. We'll talk about it. Yeah, that was a great scene. Um, 
you know, really emotional. The actress, Travis, you know her name. Oh, Erin Kellyman. Erin Kellyman is really killer, really unique face. A lot yeah, of emotions. Yeah, I, very, like uniquely the, beautiful. They included her in this for a lot of reasons. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a quick brief scene, but again, humanizing these, uh, these flag smashers, showing them caring for the less fortunate and the disenfranchised is a really good way to get the audience to actually root for someone. Maybe they shouldn't be rooting for, which a lot of the show, again, blurred lines, the gray areas of what's right and what's wrong seems to be a huge theme, especially of this episode. And having a scene like that is, is kind of awesome you know even if it is just kind of just kind of brief um very brief yeah i mean i i check because i was curious what the hell that fucking little chain that looked kind of like rosemary beads or whatever was and and i found it's it's called a hamsa and it's used by like pretty much every religion that exists in the middle east um muslims christians jews and it's like a symbol of protection um that actually has a hand um where the world actually is so it, it's kind of interesting because is that where you the know, flag smashers get their um moniker or that, that's what i was kind of getting to kira like i'm thinking you know that kind of symbol of of protection with with the hand in the world in the middle looks a lot like the flag smashers um i did not you know. put that together yeah and the yeah. whole symbol of protection, you know, it says a lot about the, the organization's ideals, you know, this thing being used by Muslims and Jews and Christians in an area that's so sensitive, especially with religious struggles over, you know, the entire history of humankind. Um, you know, it says a lot about this organization, you know, they're going to bring people in of, you know, all people, all religions all over the world to legitimately do nothing but protect the planet. Um, so brief scene, good scene. Do you guys have anything else to say about it before we move to no. No, not really. Wolverine? <laughs> Wolverine, if we could wish. Uh, Don't yeah. give me hope. Well, Madripoor is historically where Wolverine hangs out with pirates. Oh, yeah, um, but we didn't get Wolverine here, and I don't anticipate not. getting him here or anywhere for quite some time. Yeah, it's it's like it's 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 modeled after Singapore pretty much. It's a fictional Asian island. Um here they say it was a pirate haven back in the 1800s which i i thought was pretty cool yeah in the comics and in the show that i i like that they're showing the the differentiation between us being divided and from high town to low town that that kind of like white collar crime versus petty crime the rich manipulating the poor to do the biddings to get the rich richer back to machiavelli being so fucking on the nose the whole manipulation of like you know we're still criminals but you're doing our bidding and i'm manipulating you to you know, get me more money by doing these illegal activities. Here I am here. You stay in your place. You know, just again, super spot on the nose and right on. So Mad Report was one of my uh, big issues with this episode. Like it's pretty much the biggest one. Uh, I'm leaning in again. Yeah. I don't know if you saw what I was talking about earlier online, but I, I remember talking to yeah, you about yeah, it. Yeah. It, I, I don't hate it, but I'm like severely disappointed with the, uh, the lack of representation of Asians in this Asian uh, Island city. Nation. I mean, yeah. they yeah. do uh, they say that it was an, a pirate hub, so that makes sense for it to be somewhat diverse, but there's literally more Asian iconography than there are Asian actors in this. Not a single one. Could that have something to do with um, 
not wanting to paint Asians in a negative criminal light. I don't think so because the uh, like the second command flag smasher guy is Chinese and from like one of his parents is from China and Singapore, so it's not like uh, I don't think that's it. Uh, I just like you see the bikers at the beginning, which is like a uh, they surround the car. So yeah, going into I'm town, I'm yeah. literally counting them as Asian because those are Japanese style. It, it felt like we we're watching. It felt like we we're watching a Kill Bill movie, honestly. Yeah, you know, they're called like uh, Boso Zoku style bikes, mm-hmm. like custom uh, motorcycle gang stuff. There, yeah, uh, Yakuza stuff, right? Akira too, like a lot yeah, of Japanese like they animation. they're in a lot of Japanese cinema. Uh, yeah, uh, I was very uh, excited to see that. Do you think Marvel didn't care because they got their minority quota filled with by having a black? Well, <laughs> I, I do kind of. As awful as it sounds, I do wonder like, do they just care about representing one race at a time? Like it's, uh, it's. I I have some because. It's it's. I'm glad we're talking about this because well, like, I'm I'm obviously not Asian, but I watch a lot of Asian you know, films, and it's well, like this should have been a prime opportunity to give a whole lot of Asian actors uh, an acting gig, and they lost out on yeah, that right. in this. Uh, and and what about this show that seems to be built so heavily upon, um, especially coming off of last week's episode of the sensitive nature of race and racism yeah yeah and as we're going into madripoor we're given a they all look the same joke with sam's uh you know you know costume yeah well at the same time they kind of call out the whole idea of typecasting i mean that was that was um why am i forgetting uh that was anthony mackie right in that picture yeah that was i think it was anthony mackie but again like travis you know kind of all asians are yakuza members in movies in american cinema at least that that's kind of a thing so maybe and they're wearing reservoir dogs suits and yeah exactly and they look like they're in a john woo movie and you know there's doves flying somewhere it would bother me less if this particular show wasn't addressing race that's what i mean that's kind of i'm 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 being facetious about it but it seems curious yeah yeah if if it was just some random movie that uh probably like some white guy karate movie or something like it wouldn't bother me as much because it's uh, yeah not trying to say anything you know i guess what i'm talking about like american ninja yeah 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 yeah. uh yeah yeah that's what i mean like it kind of goes back on its promises or you know Mm -hmm. Or it's just not living up to it. Doesn't know what it wants to be, or it's not living up to its uh, potential in that regard. Like the uh, agreed, uh, it's a massive oversight. I'm not going to like downgrade the rating too much, but it's just do better. (laughs) Yeah, but at the same time, again, they having you know this criminal fucking world be populated by a bunch of Yakuza members would also be kind of forwarding that stereotype. Oh yeah, well. I, I do kind of assume that the bikers are Japanese, because like I said, those are Japanese-style yes. custom motorcycles. We don't ever really get a good look at their faces, so they're just props. Uh, and uh, honestly, like, not only do I have my gripe about that sort of careless, you know, stereotypical joke, but it also is, like, so ridiculously 
much of a plot convenience that Anthony <laughs> oh, Mackie yeah, 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 yeah. fucking identical twin to the person that they have to pretend that they're going to be to the point where the bartender has this guy's a regular at the bar and the bartender can't tell the difference. Oh, yeah, he like automatically also a black man, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he was suspicious, but the fucking line where he says, um, I'm the only one dressed like a pimp and Zemo goes back. Nonsense. You know, only an American would think that a fashion forward uh, black man would be dressed like a pimp. Like that, that was a solid line that kind of gave Zemo a little bit more clout in my book. That was spot. Well, he's always coming up with, with good stuff like that. And uh, I wanted to ask before we move on to the bar scene. Well, uh, go ahead, Travis, go ahead. Well, I was going to address one much more minor nitpick. I thought the transition to this scene was a little bit weird with them just like walking down the middle of the road on this bridge. Why yeah, not wait for their weird. ride at wherever they got off the plane at? I, just odd. Uh, not a big deal. Just is yeah. there any significance to the fact that Madripoor smells like acid? That was just a, that, that was just too. a weird line. Yeah, it was weird. I yeah. figured I'd ask Conrad, you guys. Conrad Mack, the um, person who Anthony Mackie is supposed to be, the the smiling tiger, is a is a comic book character. No kidding. Way. Yeah, I looked up yeah. pictures of the character. He's kind of odd. <laughs> yeah, he's very odd. He's a Madripoor regular. His um his parents were uh, like crazy cult members who uh, raised their child to be like this feral cat person. Yeah, he um, kind of reminded me of yeah. like a BDSM uh, Wolverine or oh, something. Wow. And he's got like the chains on him and all that. And he's mm-hmm. got the call. Does he have Not... wings? No, he doesn't. No, no. No, he's like a weird cat man. But it was a cool little nod. Agreed. Yeah. I didn't even think to look that up. The bar that they go to in Lowtown, the the Bruns Monkey uh, Saloon, I believe it was. Was it that or was it the Princess Bar? No, no. They they show you a sign of the Princess Bar on the way to the Bruns Monkey. The Bronze Monkey, though, it, it's like the most icely cantina of Marvel Comics, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty much the impression I got. And you know, what did it say? Was it on the outside of, of the bar that we see the, we see the graffiti? Of the, yeah, the you see the graffiti. Watching? Yeah, yeah, I think. Mm-hmm. I yeah. want to come back to that. I want to come back to that. Because... Yeah, I think that was like uh, on the building that the power brokers probably hold up. And the casino rave, rev or whatever the fuck, and it uh, said the green. power broker is watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and then we saw those green screens a little bit later, and well, Armenzola was in a green screen. No, I want It's literally coming up anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, okay. So they go inside of the bar. Right, I'll get to it. <laughs> they get inside of the bar. They go to order the drinks. Very funny scene. Very like, very oh. funny. Smiling Tiger, your usual, and it's like fucking snake guts or was whatever. Was it a snake the fuck egg or something that they put in it? I think it was, it was a, like a, a dead Indiana pregnant snake or something like that. Reminded me of Indiana Jones a bit. And and I love Anthony Mackie's. I love these. Like he's trying to convince himself, <laughs> and then gives a thumbs up after he drinks. It, it was just great acting, but great comedic acting by Anthony Mackie. He's awesome. He is awesome, and and like his um like how chill he is and how laid back he is as opposed to how uptight Bucky is this entire series. It's, it's a great kind of dichotomy. It's that yin yang um, thing. Totally. Yeah, it's, it, it works so well. We find out Zemo is basically, you know, saying flaunting around Bucky. As to a, get and they're whisperings at the winter soldiers at the winter. Soldier. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, he's 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 flaunting around Bucky to get his way in with whoever they have to meet with their their contact there, who's going to lead them a little bit closer to wherever the super soldier serum is coming from. the The fight scene was sick. You know, they act he activates quote unquote uh, Bucky. Um, I don't know if you guys noticed again. Back to Henry Jackson's score, um, the Winter Soldier Absolutely. theme starts playing, and his arm makes a- that more noise than they usually let it in that end fucking uh zemo's um theme is playing in like a techno kind of dance like action movie kind of way at the same time it's the same notes as uh zemo's theme playing with the winter soldier noise in the background so yeah it's pretty again show's good music's good everything about it it looks great it was during this scene where we do see a blinking and miss it hooded Sharon Carter witnessing all of the violence, right? Yes. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. So I, as soon as I saw it, I knew it was Sharon Carter. Most yeah, of it yeah. is promotional yeah, material. <laughs> like we saw, we saw that she wears that hood. Here's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. The graffiti, the graffiti says the power broker is watching. And in this scene, we see Sharon Carter is watching. One of the theories going around the internet right now oh, is, yeah. is Sharon Carter, the, the power broker. I mean, yeah, or, laying some breadcrumbs to a scene later on in the episode. Also, do you got what do you guys think about that? Uh, it's that a possibility. Theory. I don't think the thing we see later on makes me think that she's not like top of the heap. Uh, I don't but, know if she's the power broker, but I might have to say I think she might be up to no good. I think she's a squirrel. I will. Oh, that's there in my notes too, man. But I'm not going to talk about it till later. <laughs> Yeah, I think she's a scroll. Uh, <laughs> totally have it in my notes. While we're talking about the power broker, I would like to mention that I was correct for once about uh, oh. the power broker being in Madripoor. Uh, Very good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Moment of silence for Travis. Yes, yes. Patting myself on the back a bit. I will. I'll give you a good like round of applause sound effect here, too. I'll find it somewhere. Uh, yeah. Oh, I got him. I got him. I'll do it in post. I'll do it in post. The, um... So Selby, this character that they're going to meet, oh, you know, oh, they, they get... can I ask you something real quick, John and yeah, Travis sure. for that matter? Do you guys think that Bucky was reveling or sort of getting sort of a junkie fix out of yeah. being able to act the Winter Soldier? I think punching people feels good, probably. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, there's a part of him that enjoys it, and then I think there's another part of him. That and even likes. Sam, Sam seems to yeah. notice it because he sa- he asks if he's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought that was something interesting, and I don't know if I was again having a legally blonde moment or not. No, um, but uh, legally blonde declared. Um, <laughs> no, no, I don't. I, I think a lot of this episode and having Zemo here is is a stark reminder to. You know, Bucky started this series off trying to make amends for his wrongdoings in the past and the things that he didn't have the control of, you know, because he was under the influence of whatever it was, um, much like the NBC sitcom My Name is Earl. But um, it was, uh, (laughs) again, this episode kind of dug back into, like, you can't really escape your past, um, even though... You might not like it. It's still very much a part of you. You can be sorry for it, but it's always going to be there. It's not something that you're going to get rid of necessarily. So these kind of quick hints of, you know, Bucky not acting maliciously. I don't think he does anything intentionally malicious necessarily, but he does act again in a gray area. Well, we here. talk about yeah. how Zemo's, you know, a genius manipulator. He's essentially taking a recovering alcoholic and making him drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very similar. Yeah. Very similar. Yeah. 
that's why I kind of said it like, you know, under the influence of something, whether it was some fucking super soldier mumbo jumbo spell words or whatever the hell it is, or, you know, an actual substance abuse problem. It very much relates back to the whole idea of like, you can be sorry for your past, but your past is your past and you did it. So you can make amends with it, but it's never going to fully escape you. And it's always going to be there yeah. and, uh, shadowing you. And Bucky may not want it. It's not his desire and he may not be getting enjoyment of it, but it could push him like any any other person in recovery um yeah back into the you know on the wrong side of the line yeah into the cycle you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the um when they're going to meet selby there's this i mean nothing really of note but good cinematography on their way walking up to her room it was like a weird slow-mo kind of thing of the whole group kind of walking in the three amigos um and it just like looked really sexy. <laughs> I, I I was like digging into Selby today, uh, trying to find out if there was like an actual comic book equivalent yeah, to this character. I read up on that too. Anything? Did you find? Well, there's like a dude uh, who's a mutant in the comics who does hang out in Madripoor that communicates with like computers and machines and kind of like is fluent in like every language and communication, kind of almost like C-3PO if he was like a gangster. Yeah, yeah. Kind of. I uh, I personally just, I don't think it's the same character. I know they have the same name and the Madripoor link does provide some credence to it, but I just don't think they'd cast a uh, a black mutant as a, a white lady uh and just the selby as just a name is not enough uh yeah definitely not an asian i i <laughs> love the act this cockney british actress that they got for the part i mm-hmm. I, I think she was definitely uh also hamming it up and you know, oh yeah, purring yeah. At sam and uh, oh, I, so I just good. i just thought her whole performance was great uh even and it, it's yeah. a one and done obviously but uh, i i I, you know, they keep casting the right people for these even minuscule parts, and uh, yeah. I enjoyed it. Her giving the team that information to, um, again, she has a good line like, "I'll give you the breadcrumbs, but the bakery's going to cost you." And Zemo uh, offering up Winter Soldier like a bargaining and, and chip. code words. Yeah. yeah, that's a bargaining chip um, for any information that they have on the Super Soldier Serum. Uh, and where it's coming from and, and mentioning, you know, it, it's being made by a guy who is in Madripoor um, by the name of Dr. Wilfred Nagel, um, who who is a character from the, the book. Next that, question um, for me. Yeah, yeah. He was the uh, scientist, actually, from the book that we talked about a lot last week, that Truth, Red, White and Black. That was the introduction of um, and, and kind of the only comic that um, Isaiah Bradley's ever really been in, uh, who kind of took over Project Rebirth after the death of uh, Dr. Erskine. Um so again, nice little nod, you know, real scumbag character in the comic books, like real yeah. big time scumbag. Yeah. And the actor who portrays him, did he seem familiar to anybody? I'm trying to find no. him. He see I don't know if it was just because maybe he was doing like a Jesse Eisenberg type, like, you know he looked crazy performance. But um he was definitely like a cringy but again, we're not to him yet, but like uh that was also a good performance from the actor. Um, yeah. But this serum, this serum being recreated and, and eventually stolen by Carly and the Flag Smashers, we find out, you know, this is the driving force of the show at this point. It's stopping this 
super soldier serum from getting into the wrong hands and being, you know, further created. So our gang has a new, a new mark, basically like find this Wilford Nagel guy, stop him from making any more of it and get as much information out of him as possible for who hired you to do this. Who have you been working for and stop doing it? You know? Yeah. And I guess it's not a good time to address it. Um, it's more like the shipyard scene, but having listened to the Vanity Fair um, podcast episode discussing this, uh, one of her concerns were now that um, Nagel, who you know we'll talk about, you know, obviously doesn't make it past the following scene, will that make Isaiah Bradley a target for people that are going to want to continue this super soldier serum? Um, yeah, it's worrisome. Yeah, um, you know finding out that this you know the, our famous last words man like we'll get to it in the next scene but finding out because there's out, still things yeah. in this scene that we need to talk about <laughs> yeah 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 finding out again that this thing was extracted from isaiah bradley's fucking blood like makes this entire thing even more tragic like all these horrible events that are occurring right now are inadvertently like rooted in like this horrible thing that destroyed this human being's life like, and this it, poor it, old man who just wants to live his life out quietly in baltimore maryland is probably going to have fucking plenty of different people knocking down his goddamn damn door and this is just so unsettling to watch unfold when you know it's probably coming soon one thing i do like is they tell you exactly how many vials of the super soldier yes 20 that's enough to keep things interesting for a while and not Mm -hmm. uh not so much that there's just going to be super soldiers everywhere and uh it does kind of change my theory about what the flag smasher's plan was for this next day that we haven't seen yet. Uh, oh, wait, actually, we saw it today in this episode, rather. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're not planning to power people up with it. They have No. Are they planning? No. She's, well, again, well, let's let's pull back to where we're at. Right? Let's talk about Sam the phone acting call. like a fucking African pimp on the phone. Yeah, which I thought was very, the very phone funny. call. A very tense scene. Very and a funny scene and a tense scene because it's like, yeah. oh God, how are they going to get out of this one? Do you guys know that in the comics too, um, Sam Wilson was originally, you know, he his origin was in Harlem, but before he was an Avenger, he was like kind of eluded. He was like a, an actual pimp, Did not know by that. the way. Not Do you guys know about all. that? No, no, I didn't. Yeah. Uh. He went by the name Snap Wilson, and he was like a street hustler. I swear to God, was he was like a street hustler. Like what? What era uh, did they do this? It was never retcon, but that was like early seventies Marvel when, like you know, Shaft and Superfly were out, and and like pretty much like any character that they created was like Luke Cage or Snap Wilson. It was some like jive talking. Um, unfortunate stereotype written by some old white guy, probably in a suit. Oh yeah. Um, but again, shout out to. Uh, our our podcast on uh superfly but um yeah just quick <laughs> um yeah him him trying to play that part too is is like yeah. you know i'm the gonna kill that funny. i'm gonna <laughs> you know which yeah. is, i don't even i didn't write you that line i loaned it so much money or whatever yeah and then eventually she calls him out she says the word sam and and the the cat purry lady was like sam kill yeah, that kill and she's instantly Dude, blood. blown away Blood and gunplay. On Disney. In Marvel in general. So obviously the Avengers kill people. 
like we've seen the Avengers use guns. We see Black Widow use guns all the time. But there is something disorienting to me, at least, to see this, not just the gore, just like this kind of, again, this was written by the guy who does the John Wick movies, but just that, just, it's very cold. You know, it's it's cool. Don't get me wrong. It's very cool. I know I'm not supposed to like it, but I'm all about it. You know what I mean? I'm not supposed to just be like, oh, cool, we get to see blood like I'm like Mortal <laughs> Kombat or something like that. But I just I just we like do. the maturity of it and that I never thought it would go there for Dis- like we were talking about for WandaVision about like some zombie witches being a little too scary. Like this is this is <laughs> hardcore violence, It's like rated R violence. Yeah. Almost, almost. Well, yeah, the closest we've come to it is probably First Avenger where that guy gets turned into a blood uh, mist. Exactly what I was going to bring up, the propeller yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, we get. Some violence on that level, almost here, like especially later on. I, I think there's, I think there's something like, again, this the show is all about teetering the line of what is good, what is bad, these gray areas. There's something very like jarring about the kind of action that's on this show, well, where it's like good guys don't do this, superheroes don't do this, and then at the same time, it's like they're kind of working outside the law with a fucking supervillain. They're not really good guys in this know, fucking moment. It, we're talking about Marvel and Disney, which is a corporation, and they know what they're doing. And they're each one of these shows are meant to reel in a specific target demographic. So you have this is completely different demographic than people that are going to watch WandaVision, as we've seen people complain about in comment sections. So like, but then it's it's it's, it's you also have to watch the other things to get what's going on here so it's sort of like they they know what they're doing and this is the this is the john wick you know uh show for for marvel and disney and i'm about you about know it. kira where they're not complaining though where's that the MCU Beyond Infinity Facebook group that who's ever listened. I don't know. Uh, I complain a lot about things. So last week we talked about the fast running and how funny I think it looks. Where was the fast running with Bucky? Why was he not doing the fast running when they were getting out of the bar? Sam was running in heels, which I can sympathize with. You beat me to it. God damn it, I'm sorry, Travis. I was going to say that he was just trying to not make Sam feel bad. He's going to just keep pace with Sam so he can protect him because... He's going to be the next Captain America. It's... I can't believe he yelled that. Oh, I, I know. It was uh, such a funny line. Uh, uh, and, and then, yeah. We're going to meet Sharon Carter here. Yeah, the Parker. official Sharon Carter returns. Yeah, and we find um, out that that she's still on the run from the government, allegedly. And... Yes, that's the thing. So, like, <laughs> no, The S.H.I.E.L.D. continues to ruin people's lives. But here's the thing. Like, where has she been? We know she's been in Magic Report. Was she snapped? They never really yes, clarified I think that, right? So. Uh, I, um, I'd, I'd have to go back and research, but I, I think she actually was snapped. But the last time no, we saw she, her, it shows that she's missing. They never that's true. That's true. It could be like an Ant Man thing where they didn't know where she exactly. was. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, why? Yeah. And she's also she's a CIA spook, so she could easily have just gone or. Or she was snapped and she is a scroll now, but why was she not pardoned with the rest of them? Why well, did she, why, and why did she not actively seek a pardon? Like I uh, I would say it's because I know she didn't time, participate in the in the battle for Earth, but that's what I was going to mention is that the last time we saw her was her stealing from the government, and we didn't see her in Infinity War or Endgame, so we just have that's to. That's Doctor Strange dropping the ball on that one. He, sh- yeah. he should have had uh, you know. 
Wong, go get her. But, I do know. wonder why they didn't bring her in on either of those movies. Did they do it? She, maybe she was just unavailable. <laughs> well, it could be, or they just don't want to draw any more attention to uh, Captain America's previous relationship with her. Since he's going that, to end you know, up that's with a, Peggy. That's a good point. That's a good point. That was a mistake to have them swap. Yeah, they should have known uh, ahead of time which one they wanted to go with and just stick with it. Don't introduce this. Yeah, other just kiss Bucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we have a callback to that scene later in the show. We'll wait. Yeah, but she's been living in Madripoor off the grid because she is still a fugitive in the United States for stealing the shield and and Sam's wings, living in High Town, amassing what seems to be a fortune because her apartment is exquisite. Um, yeah, and dealing uh, stolen artwork. And if she's from, not the power yeah. broker. Is she Mephisto? Mm. Mm. Go on, John. Mm. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I. I mean, so that scene where where you know they're they're like, how did you get all this money? Um, you know, she's she's swapping out, um, you know, actual artwork in museums for these forgeries, and then dealing the the artwork, the actual artwork to to the rich and powerful. Um, the whole idea of you know art forgery. Um, you know, what makes an image kind of meaningful, uh, real or replacement, it still can move and inspire people the same way that the original can. Um, back to maybe the new Captain America, you know, he's not the original, Sam, he's, you know, not the original. Back to just the themes of like, you know, can a replacement actually hold the same weight and inspire the same things that the original was intended to do. I thought it was an interesting touch. And I liked the kind of lines where like Bucky and, and Zemo kind of knew so much about. And <laughs> about, Sam was rushing to Google it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's Googling it and shit like that. Um, yeah. It was, it was pretty fucking funny, man. Um, but again, thematically, I thought it worked very well. Yeah. I so. didn't, I did. I didn't make that connection. You're usually uh, our go-to person for making these like abstract and relevant. <laughs> grasping at straws. No, 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 no. I would say the Lord of the Rings shit was grasping at straws. This is this and the shield from last, uh, the shield bouncing back from last week. Both of these, I think are apt, uh, astute observations. Um, to talk about Sharon's behavior in this scene, uh, it's yeah. definitely different from the Sharon that we met in Civil War or le- left off with in Civil War. She seems very mean-spirited and um, I the, don't know. Well, the scroll that's impersonating her only knew yeah, she was exactly. and she's <laughs> doing her best. Correct. Yeah. That, is, that is correct. You're being very judgmental. Uh, yeah. yeah. And she has her when – they, when they bring up Nagel, she has a very obvious – reaction to it and then she says nagel works for the power broker which is you know i'm we're we gotta take we're getting ahead of ourselves yeah. but i'm just no. saying we gotta we gotta worry about sharon's motives or even identity at this point mm-hmm. she seems really cynical and and more world weary than we've ever seen her she's got that line where she says this whole hero thing's a joke you know which is very much the signs of the time here you know or I'm just falling into the trap of creating theories that aren't there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is a very different characterization than we've seen for from her, but we really haven't seen a ton of her in general. Like when we first meet her, she's true. Uh, playing a part and uh, trying and to be like or to seven years have, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, I, and two years like, or seven years have passed for her character. So she worked for Shield. It was infiltrated by Hydra, so she's probably disillusioned with what she was doing to a degree. 
Sounds uh, familiar. That's if she isn't just like secretly still working for the CIA or whatever. Uh, She's working for someone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just you I, know. Liked, I liked seeing her act this way because she was one of those people that was so gung ho for Steve. You know, her association with Peggy. You know, being Peggy's an icon the same way like Steve is an icon, where this representation of like what things used to be, you know, like make it great again. I hate to fucking say it, but like, you know, like I, I hate to say it, but, you know, maybe it wasn't ever that great. And, you know, maybe this entire thing's been a joke the entire fucking time. Like it, it got me fucking screwed. It got me like living on the lamb and fucking turning into like a stone cold assassin and shit and some crazy pirate kingdom um even though her apartment is super dope i you know i would kill for that oh absolutely like who wants to fucking go back to america if that's your life now yeah i'm all about that then she tells them to uh you know enjoy the party and um we well, cut to my favorite. Her, uh, well, you, all right, all right. I was just going to say that she uh, she reluctantly agrees to assist them with the promise to be able to return to the U.S. for yeah. Sam clearing her name. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Like Sam doesn't seem to have much clout with the United States government at this point either. Like it seems like they're out to get him just as much as anybody right. else. Right? Rody, as much as they're out to get Sharon, you know. Yeah. Unless Rhodey's a scroll, so they're all fucking scrolls. Let's just get down the brass tacks here. Um, go on. Our next scene, which is <laughs> uh, it is um, more proof that you know Baron Zemo was not only able to destroy all the Avengers, but he destroyed every single soul on that dance floor. <laughs> that <laughs> dance scene was so fucking funny probably um, my favorite mcu moment ever 100 percent. there's a gif of it already available there's like 15 hour super cuts of it already available just to like funny <laughs> yeah that was the one i found today like i i was sending it to my roommate man we were fucking dying like pretty much like any dance song you can imagine there's just like this like repeated gif of like baron zemo like fist pumping in like a turtleneck like i instantly thought of mike myers and snl with the now now it's time on sprockets where we, where dance. we dance yeah it's so fucking funny like kira and i are both new yorkers and like if you've ever gone to a funny dance club in new york city <laughs> there's always weird german people in turtlenecks doing exactly what that guy was doing it was so fucking i mean the the scene held no weight other than to be like all right zemo's kind of cool even like bucky was bobbing his head at one point in that club yeah. like i just love that quick little montage and the fact that they capped it with that fucking fist pump like mm-hmm. oh. and we got to see hightown too yeah. you know we got yeah, we got yeah. the glimpse of low town and we got to see high town um where where the ecstasy seems a little bit more pure mm-hmm. <laughs> you know <laughs> than, than the grimy shit that they're doing down in in low town um eating fucking snake eggs and shit yeah getting high on fucking bath salts and <laughs> eating snake eggs <laughs> um and quick cut it's the next day they're in some 
very stereotypical mm-hmm. kind of action movie set mm-hmm. piece, which I don't care. I don't care. Like, let it be a stereo. They even call it out eventually in the episode where it's like, this is every action movie ever. They're they're in some transporting shipyard uh, trying to find um, Neagle up. Uh, Nagel? Nagel? I keep saying I guess Nagel. I keep calling him like Nagel. Um, very John Wick, this entire thing. They go inside the, the shipping container and um, and they find this um, really dorky scientist another, chilling that out. That was another callback, though, where Zemo, please be a secret door. Please be a secret door. Yay! That's <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't even think about yeah. that. I didn't even think about that. Again, I'm probably just seeing these things myself. Like, they were never intentional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I saw a Lord of the Rings comparison, so I think it's very apt and and a little bit more on the nose. So, um, so uh, Nagel's story is that he was brought in by Hydra after Civil War. Is that the chain of events? After the ninety one soldiers. Okay, yeah. after the ninety one soldiers that failed, he was brought in by Hydra to work on the super soldier serum and then once hydra fell he was brought in by the cia and that's when he was that's when he was using isaiah bradley's blood after the cia once he was in cahoots with the cia i believe because that's how he had access to it yes he doesn't say isaiah bradley but he says that there was a subject to yeah assume assume Yes, but Sam's look when when he says uh, we found a subject and then we were able to isolate it, there was a a quick pan to to Mackie and, and, you know, that kind of said it all right there. Um, And he was said basically, you know, he was a god and he was able to extract what was needed from this blood to make pretty much an optimized formula, which is what we know the flag smashers uh, flag smashers are taking which is why there's no crazy effects they don't like they don't when, have steve's juiced up body basically they don't or banner turning fucking green or the abomination you know I mean? or yeah yeah, yeah. It, they they retain their physical appearance but they get all the fucking juice that they need from the super soldier serum um and this is again where they say, you know, it was it was stolen by the flag smashers. Carly stole the what was it, twenty vials? Yes, twenty vials. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Nagel was also dusted. Yeah, that's what he said. And, he said he was dusted and it was abandoned when he uh, was blipped. Yeah, and came back to work for the power broker. That's what brings him to Madripoor. Blah 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 blah. Right. So, and this is where we find out that Carly's loved one has tuberculosis, which is a common. Uh, ailment in these displacement camps that uh, yes. people that survive the snap are being displaced by people who have returned in the blip. Mama Donya, don't you wish your girlfriend didn't have tuberculosis like me? I think is the name. Okay. And um, this is the moment I'm talking about where Zemo's biggest character, you know, trait of hating superpowered individuals is also something that he can't control in his character. Cause basically the second he gets a chance, you see him kind of like looking for a weapon. And the second there's a distraction, he blows this dude away uh, and really fucks over everything. It's almost like when Thor chopped off Thanos's head, like, what did you just do? Like, what the fuck asshole? So that could be a weakness that they can know to exploit Zemo in the, in the future possibly. But then things just start getting, and isn't while this is happening, Sharon's out there, fucking 
John Wick, right? Yeah, she, she kind of has my favorite action bit in this episode. Uh, and yeah. again, like the mm-hmm. violence that she <laughs> is uh, doing, like. Mm-hmm. Well, like we haven't seen a ton with her, so it was kind of important to establish her as a good hand-to-hand combatant. Uh, doing a lot of like, um, you know, ground and pound and like. Uh, yeah, yeah, like the armbar and all that. Uh, yeah, some. Uh, amazing camera work too too. amazing camera work there travis where they don't do a lot of cuts all of those shots that they flip back while they're having the conversation inside of the container with um the crew and nagel to sharon outside with all these people um with the bounty out for their head um coming after them the the camera work is sick very uh jason Bourne Mm -hmm. and that was who i was trying to think of yeah yeah, it's handheld, but not a lot of cuts. You get to see all the action. Each one's a single take. We're not cutting around. It is cool. Agreed. Yeah, one hundred percent. There were, was like one moment that was a little confusing with the, when she's fighting one of the knife wielding uh, villains. Uh, it's another minor, minor nitpick in the choreography. Is that when she stabs? She ends up stabbing him. Yeah, yeah. She. Ground? I want to say he stabbed or whatnot. He has a single knife, and then like uh, she's. Got him, got his arm, and she's wrestling the knife away from him. And then she seems to throw it down the way. And, um, uh, but then she has another knife that she throws at somebody. Uh, but. And then she pulls a fucking gun out and shoots yeah. him at point blank. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Like, Jesus. Hmm? She's she brutal. She uses a dead body as a human shield. Oh, yeah. at one point. Like, I mean, again, like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm all about this while it's happening, but, like, it's just crazy crazy that we're watching this on disney plus and again the the level of violence it's not like the avengers aren't you know killing people and causing like collateral Steve damage specifically and stuff has no problem killing people because he's and natasha and clint and you know we're used to seeing this stuff i just don't think we're really used to seeing it you know portrayed so rude like this isn't what we think of when we think of what superhero action looks like mm-hmm. is what we think of like an action movie action movie looks like you know which is why winter soldier is one of my favorite and that's what i i've said before that i feel like this movie lives more in the winter soldiers world than civil war and the two um russo brother directed avengers movies i'd agree with that and he's a more murky character uh, and all mm-hmm. pretty much all the characters in this except for sam pretty much yeah but sam's growing increasingly disillusioned by everything as well um I don't think it's going to break him. And I think that's kind of why inevitably Sam is the best successor for the shield and and what the shield and what that costume and what that mantle represents, you know, while all these characters are murky and, and willing to go to these extreme lengths and we're seeing Sam, you know, getting there and getting there. It's that, you know, I hate to say it, but that like the killing joke thing, you know, everyone's just like one bad day away from being fucking like a total monster. Um, Sam, it seems to be having those days on repeat lately. And yeah, it's wearing him down, but it's not, it's not disillusioning his ideals at the end of the you know, day. He even it's- specifically addresses being after, after the ringer they just went through, he's worried about Sharon and he's worried about Isaiah. Like, you know, and yeah. he's so selfless. Yes. Yeah. That's later, though. Yeah. We see an RPG blow the fuck out of that lab. Yeah. A very good explosion, even though it was very obviously CGI when they were inside the lab. I, I don't know. It looked really good, that aerial shot. 
above it when it was exploding. I hope that was a real a real bomb or explosion going off because it looked fucking it looked fucking cool. And that's when all hell fucking breaks loose and you know, they say follow me, cover me, and then Bucky and Sam. Go left, there's the go left callback as well. There is a go left callback and he's like, Well, where'd you learn that? He's like, literally every action action movie movie, ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was cool. And Travis, you you got your moment here, man. They say where's Zemo? Where's Zemo? And and you got it here, man. The anticipation for it was built up so well with that mid shot of Zemo casually walking on top of that crate holding the purple mask. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Well, he, he needed um, to put it on because it's blast resistant. You don't want to. Yeah, like uh, he puts it on to like co- to cause an explosion and, and yeah. kill a couple people and then I, rips it. Rips well, it right off again. I, I wanted to mention the uh, the explosion because it, it is another one of the endless nitpicks that I'm apparently having with this episode. Uh, have mm-hmm. either of you seen the other guys with uh, Will Ferrell? Yeah, I like yes. okay. Yes. It this explosion reminded me of the explosion in in. Uh, one thing in that where like, he just sort see, of looks at it while it happens well you see like four characters standing next to this thing that explodes and then after it explodes you see two of the people still standing and and in other guys they have this dialogue about how anyone that casually walks away from an explosion is just bullshit like Star your eardrums would be blown out yeah 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 but like your, these your two guys would are, probably be emulsified. Yeah, yeah. These two guys have to be dealt with hand to hand, pretty much, because the, the explosion wasn't enough to even knock them off their feet. Uh, it is but we a got minor to see thing. Zemo do some cool, like uh, Batman style flips and shit, like that. absolutely. That really cool. And it was good to see him do some hand to hand fighting. He like got, I guess he has yeah. to, like he really has to get that mask on to get into the zone to do yeah. like that crazy shit, or at least just make it easier for his stunt double to. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah. You know, not have to be, uh, have his face, you know, re- repurposed, you know. You know oh, yeah, yeah, replaced digitally or whatever. Uh, I hope we get him with a saber at some point. Just I had my fingers crossed, by the way, mm-hmm. that that lab explosion was going to ruin Zemo's face, <laughs> even though Daniel Brule is beautiful. Again, I know you don't like this stereotype. Oh, no, I don't have, I don't dislike it. I just, it's a thing I take note of. It's not I thought a, it was. I thought it was coming. Mm-hmm. I thought it was exactly. coming right then and there. Oh, but yeah, ri- I, like the- I love the that face he makes when he when he rips it off again, and he even has a line or something like uh, like oh what's this or this is convenient. I don't know what his fucking line was, but I just hello like, beautiful. I just something like that. And I just like damn Daniel Brühl's smirk about it and uh hachi machi. Imagine he just rips it off and says hachi machi or something <laughs> like cowabunga. <laughs> and um. How about that spear? That's Bucky? what I was about to mention. Like it, it surprised me for a couple reasons. It was a, a full-on impalement, and it was a female uh, henchman. But yes, it was. I mean, he didn't. Kind of, he looked like he just maimed her. But yeah, yeah, she's sticking around in that in that fucking uh, crate uh, for a bit. It looks like, uh, but yeah, pretty brutal uh, as far as the MCU goes. Agreed, and I am about it. About it. <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry, not sorry. Oh yeah, and then we kind of get uh, Sharon Carter going off to. She has like address. a driver, personal driver. I get. Well, I mean, she's rich, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, she mentioned. She meant. We also mm-hmm. get. We also get Zebo's appreciation <laughs> for American Muscle Cars. Yeah, with the, car uh, and, and, Chevelle, and, yeah. and our yeah. callback. Uh, he that is we're a connoisseur, apparently. Hmm? Um, where mm-hmm. Bucky gets revenge against Sam. 
for not moving his seat. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a fun callback. Uh, it was. And uh, Sharon says, we've got a problem to her to her personal driver. A couple of problems. I assume one of them is the death of Nagel. I, uh, and then maybe Sam and Bucky are the other. Uh, I'm telling you, or maybe Schwartz Zemo. the power broker, damn it. Hmm? So, the telephone that she is holding as she is walking to that driver before saying, you know, we have a couple of problems. Next time any of our listeners and you guys take a look back at it, and I'll try and post it to the MCU Beyond Infinity Facebook page. It's the exact same phone from the post credit scene of Infinity War that Nick Fury was using to call Captain Marvel. You sure about that? I am 100% sure about that. God, you really... Interesting. Uh, went through this one with a fine-tooth comb, didn't you? Yeah, I, I didn't I catch did, that. I do. Uh, yeah. So, again, this is where my... She might be a scroll theory is kind of coming from. You know, the mysterious driver, the cell phone, her kind of having this chain of command... Knowing that Fury is in space, being out of that character, being out of character. It, it, again, that's where my kind of credence to the whole Sharon Carter's scroll. Maybe, maybe secret invasion. Uh, yeah, we have to start to be... having some of these characters. We inevitably yeah. be scrolls. Well, wouldn't it be cool if, like, the setup for, like, what if secret invasions like the Infinity War, the Avengers of these TV shows? You know what mm, I mean? Probably. Like, what if that's the big lead up, yeah, yeah. you know? And I also think Sharon Carter would actually be a good pick for who to reveal as a scroll in that we know her, but Definitely. we haven't seen so much of her that we're going to feel cheated out of, like, oh, it was a scroll nope. the whole time. And Travis, nope. you brought up, which I think is perfect and probably what is happening with the scrolls is using the snap as mm-hmm. their way to infiltrate because half half of everybody's gone so you can pretty much pick whoever you want to just be like oh i wasn't snapped <laughs> and then it's you know i i guess we haven't been shown the repercussions of what that would be like when people start reappearing that apparently had not left but um that's probably and all these shows are taking place at the same time as well so secret invasion could be going on during all of this so yeah yeah but i i I think it would be neat if like the post credits to this show ends up being you know another scroll thing we find out sharon carter was a scroll and the post credits to wandavision you know what's her name monica rambeau goes up to space to work with the scrolls and the post credits to loki one of the minor characters in that show ends up being a scroll and that just kind of ends up being this that's like where we're getting the infinity stone reveals in each end credit scene we're getting or we're assembling a team in the first phase or something along yeah exactly i I think it would be cool yeah that's kind of where it's coming from agreed so i've heard the sharon is the power broker uh going around too and I think that there's a lot of things that lead credence to to that theory as well. Um, I, I've been jokingly mentioning it, but Armin Zola is kind of my candidate. Armin Zola or, um, or General Ross being the power broker. Because I definitely think the power broker is kind of like a Hydra figure where they're in charge of the GRC. Mm-hmm. 
They're in charge of Madripoor. So they're in charge of the actual world governments. They're in charge of the actual criminals. And they're kind of like masterminding, you know, the left and the right at the same time simultaneously. Um, I don't want to see Hydra and the evil maniacal Nazi stereotype really go away in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think it's Is it like because you love Nazis? True. No, <laughs> I mean someone remember that find people. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I just so, uh, no. I mean, granted, they are pretty much <laughs> the closest thing realities come to actual supervillains. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. and and you know, Zola, we know he was kind of the mastermind in Winter Soldier. Kind of all along, he was always the one there infiltrating well, he's, Shield. He's the one that instigated or instituted the actual infiltration. Yeah, exactly. A so, well, that a beautiful parasite. It would be super easy to bring him back to. Like, I mean, granted, like he was transferred to all these data banks, but you always do backups. Yeah, uh, and, and what if they bring him back looking like Krang from the Ninja Turtles? That was what I. I saying. would be very happy. You know, that's what. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what What if he's in Vin Diesel's stomach? It's just Vin Diesel. <laughs> <laughs> this little tiny Armenzola Nazi head. I am belly. Zola. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fully on board for it, sir. But he's kind of like the new Mephisto with the, uh, the YouTube. Please don't start. <laughs> No, I, I, I'm telling you guys, like, we're halfway through the series so far. We are, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, we're not at the end, so I'll save kind of you know how i feel for for our reviews and a wrap-up but our our villain's going to be revealed very very soon um well, and, we, and i think armin zola is a good candidate we know we're getting know? a big bone this next episode with what what's been reported yeah episode four or five um, five i think is what uh the marcus spellman is mentioned is oh it's five not four yes it may not be a big role but it's like a big cameo of some kind uh, <laughs> like, I've heard something about yeah, a yeah. Uh, a museum. Is it, fight is it Paul Bettany? Being, like, <laughs> I he specifically said it's not like the Paul Bettany. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I want to say it may be at a courthouse. Is one other thing I've heard, but I don't recall. Okay. Uh, anything more than that? Really? Courthouse uh, up? Is it? Uh, it's it's Daredevil. Is it Charlie Cox? Is it? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's definitely Daredevil. We got to lay the groundwork for. Uh, here Sharon, Sharon Carter will be declared legally blonde. Um, and <laughs> it's just funny because I am not actually blonde in my with my natural hair, but hmm? that's, that's how I present myself. For the for the listener who can't see us, I have completely bicked my head. Um, speaking of Nazis, I not but no, I I've completely bicked my head because um I was combing my hair over for a couple of years and then I trimmed it really really short and finally just kind of gave up and started picking it. But I've been so like into the idea of buying like a wig on Amazon that I could like glue to my head kind of as a joke and like you know going places where people don't know me like the city and like buying like an expensive toupee and just seeing if like i can pull it I'll off do it. you know what those I mean? things are creepy so, my dad had yeah. one for a time it was it was whoa uh, yeah. did it crawl away <laughs> <laughs> no after he died we found it in a drawer he had more than years because of the mockery <laughs> he received but oh my god as a wig wearer i am just 
crumpling upon myself right oh, now. Oh, don't say it's not the same thing yeah, at all. It's it's, it's not the yeah, same thing. I have long natural hair, but it hasn't been styled in a long time, so yeah. I just choose to wear wigs. Thankfully, we live in a time when the shaved head look is it's fine. Uh, I, oh, I rocked the same that thing. when I was a guy, totally. Uh, Mostly because I was bald. But. It's fuck, though, because I wear, like... I mean, you guys probably see it. I usually have on some, like, sort of track jacket, and I look like a fucking super guinea like most of the time and now that i've like shaved my head and my allegiance to like companies like adidas like i just like look like uh like a like a scumbag like pretty much like a russian gangster is what i'm kind of seeing like yeah or like a tracksuit vampire or something along those lines. <laughs> going to be popping up in hawkeye soon huh yeah yeah i'll be the bad guy in the uh, new hawkeye series pretty much um Back to the show. Yes, definitely. Um, we we get the GRC supply depot and we see Carly talking outside with one of her flag smasher uh, cohorts, um, basically about how the life that they were promised was get it snapped away um, when the people returned. Um, and we get confirmation that they have indeed taken the serum. I, I really enjoyed that line that she had where she said, remember what it was like, how we felt when we took it. My veins were on veins fire. Were on fire yeah. I, I wanted to die. And it did remind me of the scene where Steve had taken the serum and, you know, he was in that chamber and the, like the agony of it and everything along those lines. So kind of reminds me of extremists too, because they were in pain yeah. when he took it, to, took that as yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely doesn't seem like a pleasant experience, even though... Didn't she say, and then we're going to go give it to children? <laughs> <laughs> One thing I, I will acknowledge, because I criticized the episode earlier, episode earlier about uh, the lack of Asians in Mad Reporter, is that in this scene they mentioned that uh, her second-in-command, whose name I, I can't remember, is either from Mad Reporter or has spent time there, and he is an Asian actor, so... At least one speaking role for someone from there, but yeah. Also, and that smoke show Japanese girl from the first episode. Yes, but she wasn't. Yeah, but she's not. I don't think she's. Yeah, I don't think it's. I don't think it's like they just hate Asians in the show or anything like that. It's just like an oversight. There's a missed opportunity. Yes, yes. They have to be super old or super hot, otherwise they're not in the show pretty much. There's also we'd be remiss if one of us mentioned it. A like a blatant Etsy logo on the gates of this supply depot. Yeah. That's good uh, eye because I missed that. Completely. I didn't see this either. Uh, yeah, uh, it it is as blatant as it gets. You just change the colors in it. It is the X Men logo, like the. That's crazy. Yeah, I spent the whole time taking my fine tooth comb combing my non-existent oh, yeah. hair. I must have missed. Uh, it. I also <laughs> want to say mention that I'm not suggesting that this is where we're getting mutants or anything like that. I just think it's uh, and I nod. Now you heard it here first. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just something to keep them in mind because we know they're coming. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, I like this. Um, I I don't want to say I like it because I feel I genuinely feel for Carly and the Flag Smashers and these people, especially after seeing them in the camp and seeing them with somebody who is suffering. Um, this kind of feeling of neglect, almost like those who returned. You know, all these people want is like the opportunity that was kind of stolen from them. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's something I think you know everyone can kind of relate to in a lot of ways we feel like some sort of opportunity has always um been taken from us in some way shape or form or you know our our 
our doings have gone overlooked and, you know, been given to someone not necessarily less deserving, but, but somebody else like equally as deserving, but you know, you get no reason for why it wasn't really given to you other than like plainly you exist, you know, and, you know, it's just going to somebody else for, for no reason whatsoever. And this whole, like, you know, they're just kind of stealing what they kind of feel is rightfully theirs. Um, it's, it was insightful this episode again this is the midpoint through the season and and we get the motives of not only our main characters kind of our main villains um and kind of our main anti-heroes at the same time there's kind of these three parallel motivations that are kind of clear like the power broker obviously wants power whether it be controlling the world's resources getting the super soldier serum back from carly you know we get confirmation of that with the conversation that they had with uh the doctor and madripoor we get confirmation of what the goals of sam and bucky are it's like we need to stop the super soldier serum from being transported around because you know a literal war of terror is about to come because of it but we also get a lot of confirmation on the goals of the uh, flag smashers and and how they're feeling and and a good look into their actual lives and what these camps are like these grc camps you know the the conditions don't seem good now and that sounds familiar yeah exactly these refugee camps sound familiar and people are dying of tuberculosis and they're going overlooked and resources are sitting in warehouses fucking rotting while you know we could just be taking these resources and giving them to the actual disenfranchised you know and unfortunately it's those in power who are sitting here controlling and monitoring where these resources go to and and why should they be the ones why are the actual people who are disenfranchised not the ones controlling that like whose mouths these things go into and whose bodies these things go into and who's being taken care of or not so i like that again clever writing good storytelling we get this halfway point where all of the motives well there are still some vague things we are getting a little bit more clarification into these three parallel or four parallel you know zemo baron up uh, the zemo sam and uh and buck um the flag smashers and um and walker are kind of going you know the paths are a lot more clear by the end of the episode yeah and i i thought it was endearing uh when they're kind of just ref- you mentioned how he brought up his possibly being f- originally from madripoor and you know it was just more lucrative for him to do what he was doing there but she mentioned it was endearing how she mentioned she wanted to be a teacher if she had had that opportunity it was nice to sort of humanize her a bit and you know hear her speak about you know a possible past life that was never you know meant for her unfortunately and well he even says maybe it is well and maybe she'll get it maybe be nice i like her i think i like the actress i'm liking the character i think she's so uh, uniquely gorgeous. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. She's got line like, delivery just, too, just in general. Uh, yeah, I, 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 you guys got to let me know offline what else she's in. Um, Star Wars. Solo, a Star Wars story. Yeah. What is she in Solo? Oh, she's the, okay. Yeah. She's about like the one that, yep, yeah, perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And who like started the rebellion, yeah. the Rebel Alliance. Is that all she is, she's in? That's the only other know. thing I know her from, but that's enough. <laughs> that is yeah. no, I've seen that movie like half a dozen times because yeah. Timmy loved Baca for so long. So Baca Baca. That's what he calls Chewbacca. I want to watch Baca. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
when we steal them stealing the supplies from the actual GRC outpost, um, you know, they're in the car saying buckle up. And, you know, her second in command kind of seemingly doesn't know what's about to happen. Yeah, he's like, you're not taking your car. Yeah. And she literally murders a bunch of innocent people. And again, going back to the gray lines and these blurry lines, the line delivery, Travis, you were saying you like so much the how could you do that? You know, this is the only language that these people know. know. What the hell you mean these people? (laughs) Yeah. Who are you calling these people? I mean, Eastern Europeans. You know, protest peacefully so long. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, that goes back to what we were saying yeah. a lot of last week. Like, oh, I know. The, yeah, the... It, it, it's unfortunate that it had to get to that point. But, yeah, they obviously feel ignored. And uh, at a certain point, people are going to lash out. And Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can kneel at a football game for so long, and people call you a fucking traitor for doing that. Yeah, yeah. you can sit there and you can rally in the streets for so long, and people will say, "Why are these people still complaining?" Yeah, it's only a matter of time before, like you know, you fight fire with legitimate oh, yeah. fire. And I, I can't help but notice the uh, like people getting charged after those riots. So it's <laughs> hard to say that they're completely off base on it having an effect. Uh, yeah. And meanwhile, the cops who you know instigated the events that start these riots you know a lot of the times are being let go um for legitimate murder uh, you know what i mean like it's again it at times it's the only language these people know it's it's an unfortunate truth mm-hmm. and it also well uh to get back on the episode itself we see a kind of uh the ends justify the means mentality i was there, just gonna yeah, that's what which, the john walker scene right yeah yeah well i mean we, we get it in both really like uh, the the john walker scene that we we're about to see or whatever uh, he has a similar sort of yeah it they're gonna go off the books for this one and sort of says like how are they gonna hold us responsible if we do what we're what we're setting out to do and that is definitely a the ends will justify the means so he's going to be taking law into his own hands but thinks that it'll be justified yeah for what he ends up accomplishing I am the law. Which is basically to get Zemo back, right? Because he suspects that uh, Bucky and Sam broke Zemo, Zemo out. Is that what he's, is that what he's yes. talking about in that scene? Yes. Um, so that's further down the rabbit hole for John Walker. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't it seem that Battlestar was a bit reluctant about it? He did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why I was curious when, Travis, you mentioned you think like Battlestar is kind of manipulating these things because he does seem so sincerely reluctant in that final sequence. That's why I think he's going to end up just going full U.S. agent and possibly even killing his – like that's going to be his last grisp, you know, like he vestige towards him. Like he's just going to show that he's completely gone off uh, yeah. the deep end. Uh, I, I could, think he's juiced up already too. Uh, like, I don't know. I don't know. I could see a thing where they're uh, they're going to juxtapose uh, John Walker and Battlestar's relationship, where they started out as this well-oiled machine, and then by the end, it's going to fall apart. Then and they ha- they have to go somewhere different than the comics. Oh uh, yeah, we've, and we've seen that because you know, otherwise we know what's going to happen. Yeah, and then with Bucky and uh, Falcon, they're both good uh, soldiers who are dragging each other down in a way because of their uh, conflict uh, between one another. Uh, Neither one is as good as they are, and they could be. But by the end, I expect they will be. But will Walking Taurus be a vampire half human? <laughs> well, you know, Falcon, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was in the, you know, previously on segment of this episode, 
um, they were showing about how um, John Walker and what is Battlestar's actual name? Lamar Hoskins. Using using technology that it showed Joaquin Torres using with his uh, AR app on his phone. Um, like I feel like he's in cahoots with them. There's some theories about that too. Um, especially it kind of came out during the first episode where we saw him kind of like live streaming everything and being so inquisitive about everything and trying to fiddle with Red Wing. The tech, yeah, yeah. You know, part of me, I mean, I'm thinking like, oh, you know, I know he's going to end up being, a, you know, Sam's, you know, version of Falcon eventually. But then the other part, you know, the internet was screaming like, no, he's, you know, wants to meddle with the tech because he's in cahoots with the, on, the on the Vanity Fair podcast of this week's episode. They she had mentioned that there were plans for Joaquin Torres in the series that had to be abandoned because there wasn't enough runtime to explore it oh, so maybe the vampire falcons yeah thing. yeah that's very complicated but she also said we could always you know we have armor wars coming up and uh other movies coming up so i don't think necessarily maybe we won't see him become a vampire bird in this show but <laughs> i don't think we'll be done with joaquin torres if he makes it out of the show alive no he's he, he's not in this episode a lot but um kind of Right after that sequence where we see Lamar Hoskins and John Walker kind of fiddling a little bit more into those into that gray area and down that that bad guy rabbit hole, um, they cut back to the team of good guys and Zemo on Zemo's uh, private jet, and um, Sam is on the phone with Lam- um, I almost call him Lamar with uh, Torres, and they track down um, Mama Jama. Um, or whatever her name was, um, you know, to wherever in Latvia, um, saying that she's died, but it gives them an idea of like where the flag smashers are and they're, they're, you know, our team is basically on their way now to meet the flag smashers. Um, the most interesting part of that kind of dialogue doesn't really come from what Torres said, but Bucky and Sam start to have a conversation about, you know, Sam starts thinking maybe giving up the shield isn't what I'm supposed to do. And in my head, I'm thinking like, yeah, it's like you should have kept it, but it turns. Now he suggests, you know, um, actually, you know, maybe he should have destroyed the shield, which I thought is kind of interesting. And again, putting a nice little bow on to a lot of the, the heavier thematics of the episode where, you know, symbols can be dangerous and and this symbol in particular seems to be leading things into more and more dangerous territories where um people are placing too much faith in this symbol and and too much power into the symbol itself and less be uh, behind like the person who's holding it and and their doings and these symbols can be kind of usurped for evil doing at the end of the day, which we're seeing going on with John Walker and with the GRC. So that whole concept of not taking it back for yourself, but just, you know, um, what does Kylo Ren say? Let the past die, kill it. If you must kind of come back to that. I, I think I've purposely forgotten everything about that movie. Oh, it's the best star Wars movie though. <laughs> That's a, uh, that's too big of a topic for uh, this. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned to our last yeah, whole podcast. other podcast. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, that, that was, 
definitely some heavy dialogue and um, thought provoking and and also we talked about it a little bit you know he talks about Sharon and Isaiah and he does talk about both of them well he obviously Zemo knows about Sharon but now Zemo knows about Isaiah as well um, yeah so <laughs> and more and more of Isaiah's legacy being tarnished and with that the legacy of Captain America being tarnished you know like maybe the legacy was never what they thought it was. It was the, the symbol has always been used for these evil doings, you know, like that symbol led to the destruction of this guy's life. And it's, it's this completely horrible thing. Also, um, the whole idea that Isaiah Bradley's, you know, blood is still being used for these horrible things is a really upsetting, uh, upsetting subject to to even think about i mean we have Um, three different factions now that could potentially go after it we have zemo um we have the power broker um and uh who am i missing (laughs) i don't know i just brain farted but basically we a bigger and bigger target is being put on isaiah bradley's back now um yeah and i do want to see more of isaiah bradley i don't want to see anything bad come of isaiah uh, but yeah, I want to see the uh, the flashback with him fighting Winter Soldier. I uh, I could understand like if they decide not to show us it because they want us to see uh, Falcon as the first Captain America, like in the suit. Uh, assuming that's how this ends. I mean, in the mm-hmm. comics, Isaiah was literally jailed for putting on the Captain America uniform. That's what sent him to prison. Was he? the U.S. government said he stole it and they put him in jail for 30 years. So that would be even darker if they, the government gave fucking Isaiah Bradley the Captain America uniform to go on this mission because no one else could take down the Winter Soldier. So they give him the Captain America suit, have him fight the Winter Soldier. He's the only one who survives and he comes back and they fucking put him in jail for putting on the suit and doing something that nobody else could fucking do. That would be so fucked. And that was just, was, was that just to be able to have access to him for experimentation? Because why else arrest Dude, him? Dude, I mean, in the comics, it was so they wouldn't tarnish, you know, they, they were basically like... They didn't want a black... Cap- they wanted him to do the mission, and yeah. then yeah. they didn't want a black Captain America. Absolutely. They didn't want a black Captain America. He freed a concentration camp, and then they found him gassed in a fucking concentration camp, somehow survived in basically Auschwitz, and then they took him and put him in jail for impersonating Horrible. Captain America and stealing uniform. Yeah, it's really fucked up stuff. Um so our our uh, our power trio at this point heads to Latvia because um, they're one step closer to finding the Flag Smashers. And um, I really enjoyed as they're on their way to Zemo's little hideout, uh, how Zemo was guilt tripping them about not visiting the uh, Sokovian Memorial. Yeah, site. he had seemed he seemed a lot friendlier up to this, and he was really rubbing it in their face and being really smarmy towards them. Like, of course, of course, you didn't. Yeah, why would you basically? Yeah, the whole conversation. Why would you? Was so like you, you can see that yeah, Zemo's not. It's not going to be a lethal weapon two for much longer. Again, I I thought it was interesting the idea that Zemo basically says like nothing was left of Sokovia. Um, it was completely cannibalized by their neighbors. Yeah, um, yeah, that was a, of a lot of interest to me as well. Like you wonder. Like, we uh, obviously have other uh, comic book uh, countries that we haven't seen yet that could be introduced. Or especially Eastern European. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. uh, 
that have power hungry uh, <laughs> leaders. Yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. And the idea that an entire nation basically dropped from the sky and it was filled with uh, very expensive robots, filled with invaluable resources, it would be very fitting for a warlord from another Eastern European nation, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, to we, cannibalize. I guess we should just go ahead and say that we're talking about Silver Sable and Sincaria, of course. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or Doom, I guess. And yeah, maybe, or, uh, I mean, maybe Doom. If you made that, that loose connection, God bless yeah, you, but that's yeah. not what we were talking uh, about. <laughs> yeah. I suppose you could yeah. include Latveria since a neighbor to Sincaria. It's, it's fine. Yeah. But... I, I definitely think that would be a fun way to bring Doom in here. Like, what if Doom amassed his resources from the vibranium that fell from Sokovia and used that as an opportunity to make a massive amount of wealth and weaponry and kind of put his country on a map and save his country? Because the people in the, of Liberia in the comics love Victor Von Doom. Like, he's a good leader to that. Yes, love yeah, I love that aspect of the character. I am worried this probably worrying for nothing, but I do worry that whenever we do get Doom, that he's going to be a Trump analog. When I, I just don't want hmm. anything in the MCU that reminds me of that particular person. Uh, it, it would just bum me out a bit. Aside from the, you know, the conversation that may or may not have been about Victor Von Doom, um, Bucky says, you know, I just want to go for a walk, which is highly suspicious. And he starts finding these little anal beads laying around <laughs> this uh, <laughs> this Eastern European cities. I think they're actually called uh, Camoyo beads. That's right. Um, did you guys, says, did you guys uh, pick up what was going on as, as he was doing that? I didn't. Yeah, I thought they looked like I didn't get it till the reveal. The beads, like the Wakandan beads or whatever. But I, for some reason, it didn't dawn on me that, oh, we're going back to get to see... Of Wakandan, uh, like one of the Dora Milaje, uh, uh, and and Ayu or Ayu, I don't know how to pronounce her name. She's been in pretty much every appearance that the Dora Milaje has been in. Yeah, I think she was she's actually the first one Black we saw. Widow, right? Yes, yes, she is. Yes, uh, she is. A lesbian character and in the comics. Uh, yes, she is too. Mm-hmm. Um, which is hot, but Sorry. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, um. Again, I, I hadn't really picked up too much on how much Wakanda must hate Baron Zemo until earlier on in the episode. And I thought it was really interesting to kind of tie the entire thing up into a nice little bow by the end of it. Um, are we going to have the Wakandans fucking dealing with Zemo? Like, by the end of this, is Zemo going to be rotting away in a Wakandan prison cell? Like, what the hell is going to be happening? You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, nice little, again... I loved having the, the the music back. It was it was great to see Wakanda back. I, I'm stoked. So. I love um, I loved it. This is just a part of uh, Winter Soldier's character too. It's not just something that he hung out there for a time. He got better, and now we don't really talk about that anymore. This is he formed a bond with these people, and it's really nice to see it uh, called back. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. Um, yeah, that pretty much puts a. Nice little bow on the episode. You guys ready to rate it? Totally. Yes, yes. Tell us how you really feel. Let's rate this.
All right. I uh, I gave it a boner. Go. All right. I gave it a four and a half stars or oh, infinity stones. Whoa, rather. you went yeah. down, son. Yeah. Well, it's like I said, I had uh, one big issue with some stuff, but uh, overall, that was pretty good. I didn't love the action as much as uh, you both did, but I did like it, and yeah, pretty solid episode overall. Yeah, four point five out of six Infinity Stones is is a solid rating. Yes, it's still very high. That's like what I was and rating the all the minor so, <laughs> Yeah, the nitpicks were so minor, yeah, yeah. like that you had, you mm -hmm. know. So, Kira, what did you think? Um, five. I'm gonna stay at five. Mm -hmm. Um. Five out of six, we yeah. should say, listeners. Yes, five, five out, out of six. six. It's a very odd rating. Yeah, yeah. and you know, it's weird, but, you know, it's our little thing. It had to be unique. Yes, Disney pays her, and she just shields <laughs> like hell for them. It's, uh, restore uh, the Snyderverse. No. Disney doesn't want to have anything to do with me, I can promise you. Hashtag that. release the air cut. Yeah, absolutely. Seriously. Release. Yeah, that one I'm actually serious about. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that. Uh, Talk to me offline. Yeah. And I may or may not have signed something. I could tell you guys something in a little bit. Um, so, yeah, so uh, five, five Infinity Stones. Um, again, I kind of wish I had rated the first one at a six, and then I could have been giving these 5.5. But um, it was. It felt like a bridge episode. Uh, it didn't feel like um, a standout. I mean, like I loved everything about it, and I love the action scene, but it, it seemed like an episodic episode. You know what I mean? Whereas the other episodes tackled a little bit more mature content. Uh, this one had some of it in there, but we also got Daniel Bruhl uh, just giving us a wonderful version of Zemo. Compared, I mean, again, I it's a little different than what we saw in Civil War, but I loved everything that he was given the opportunity to do with it. And um, this is slowly becoming like, you know, Winter Soldier is always hovering in my top three MCU movies. Like, you know, of all time and this is like slowly starting to become like my favorite mcu property um and it's not really fair because the shows get so much more time to um uh you know give character development and all that kind of stuff so um yeah i i, I love it i love this episode i love this series it's becoming my favorite great we have very much hit the middle point of this episode. And I think the idea and, and something that both of you guys had said, this kind of feels more like an episodic bridge episode is, is totally, you know, justifiable. Um, having Marvel at this production quality for a television show between like the framing, the locations, the size and the scale um, it's all movie quality in my opinion. Um, but again, this did feel like a bridge episode, albeit one that provided a lot of depth to characters and introduction of characters who we knew from the past and we knew were coming to the show, but kind of brought them both into new light, especially, you know, Sharon being this world weary cynic and Zemo being this kind of fun loving disco dancing guy, uh, which was really fucking cool. Um, but again, being the midpoint of the episode of the series, this episode also did provide us with a lot of major plot reveals and uh, revelations um, told in the true espionage fashion and format. 
Um, we have a <laughs> unwilling trio of familiar faces in unknown locations on a secret mission. Um, and it was all done without sacrificing um, a lot of the depth and a lot of the subtext and the character development that, you know, this show has kind of set a pretty high bar for. Um Couple all that with a uh, central theme of uh, whether patriotism and heroism still matters in a world where borders are blurry and it's not really easy to tell who's right or wrong. Um, yeah, I'm going to give this episode a, uh, a five out of six Infinity Stones as well. Um, tell us what you think of the episode. Follow us on um, any podcast provider that you have, whether it be Spotify, Apple, whatever. Um, Go to the MCU Beyond Infinity Facebook page to talk with us and other like-minded individuals such as us in a rather cordial fashion. Normally at this point in the episode, we would have a listener question. Um... Hey, first of all, let me say it's an honor to be here. And I just wanted to reiterate nothing. Delete this shit. Don't even fucking post this. Unfortunately, Kira's battery is about to die, so we're going to have to kind of wrap this up. <laughs> she forgot a charger. No, I didn't forget it. I just couldn't find it like anywhere. I looked all over my apartment, and I, I, I ladies and gentlemen, I have a particular career where I have to stay on guard, <laughs> wink, wink, for two to three days, and I just couldn't find my charger, and I didn't think it was going to drain this fast. So I'm always – She works for Hydra. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> she's a prison guard, and she's the one that uh, helped bring Zemo out. Apparently, <laughs> Carmine, I love you. We're gonna get to your question next week. We're gonna Sorry, rush through Carmine. this. Like, Carmine is so great. He was a high school friend of mine. He's still a friend of Carmine. Mine. I promise you. I promise you. Let's get to the news. Ready? All right, news. Travis, what do we got this week? We got a new Black Widow trailer, uh, which does provide some uh, different material than we've seen before. Uh, I personally watched it because this delay kind of dampened my enthusiasm for the whole thing, so I I just want more. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of hate how people are dismissing Black Widow. Oh, yeah, I I fully expected it in the movie. It's just, God, I'm just ready to see it. Uh, I know. I know. I don't the, think the, it'll be delayed again. I think we're finally going to get Oh, it. yeah. No, not when they've announced it. It's going to be a simultaneous release. Correct. Um, exactly. Yeah. The new looks of Taskmaster and um, Natasha's past is fucking sick. Mm-hmm. It, it looks sick. It, it it feels really big. A lot of people I know are concerned, like, oh, it's grounded and it's Earth-based, but it's going to be, like, you know, low scale. This does not look low scale. They're fucking jumping up and down on fucking helicarriers in the sky. Yeah, she looks, looks almost huge. like too like superhero-y. Like that especially at the end of the trailer between her and Taskmaster. Like they're like a superhero. But I mean like not a super powered one. Like, I don't know. She's a super spy. I think it looks amazing, man. Um I love Scarlett Johansson. I love that character. I love that she's making all the money. She's the highest paid actress in Hollywood, mm-hmm. so I, I'm all about it. Um, 
Before Kira's battery dies, what else we got trapped? Yeah, okay, yeah, uh, we have uh, tell tell the world my story. No, yeah, the uh, plot to Eternals may have leaked on Reddit, so beware of spoilers. Uh, I didn't read yes, it. Not going to read it. I didn't then, either. Then we had uh, some more Shang Chi toys leaked that give our possible the the first look at the Ten Rings. Looks cool. Look different. Asian inspired. Yeah. Go search it out if you want to see it. Yeah, and, uh, Do you think Russell... there's going to be Asians in that movie? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And then uh, Russell Crowe has been cast in Thor Ragnarok in uh, a mystery role. Uh, Do you think he's going to play an Asian character? I think he's playing in... Uh, I hope so. Uh, that would be... Uh... <laughs> hmm? My favorite, my most popular, like my favorite of the theories is that he's going to be uh, Asgardian Thanos actor. Yeah, that would be a fun uh, role for him. I hope he's a big role. I fucking love Russell Crowe. Mm-hmm. I think he's the best, so I, I'm really stoked for it. All right, Kira, say your goodbyes. Bye. Listen, will my recording stick on your end? If I my recording will stick. Do not talk about technical aspects. <laughs> You're gonna delete that. You're gonna delete that. But bye, everybody. Right. Again, my name is John Kira. Kira. Please do not forget to like review subscribe wherever you are getting this podcast join us at the mcu beyond infinity facebook page to speak with other like-minded individuals such as ourselves we love you all very much i'm gonna play play the outro because i think we lost kira so until next week yeah (laughs) oh my god yeah i believe you are correct uh yeah we lost her Mm -hmm. oh we lost her